Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Uh, welcome, everybody. Episode 169 of the Galen Trombley Show. We have Matt Barr here today. And Matt, returning guest from a year ago. We just discussed that off, and it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but it has. Um, but he is the tour director of the Greater Adirondack Ghost and Tour Company. Um, you might have seen him walking around with the top hat, with the lantern, doing his thing. Um, we dove into a bunch last time, figured we'd come back on. Halloween's this sad, or this Sunday. Um, and this is peak season for you. So again, kind of picking your brain, asking you some spooky sure. questions and some, some history questions that we like to talk about. So Matt, welcome again back. Yeah, glad to be here. Glad uh, to be here. So we were just talking from last year, um, kind of go into what you were just discussing about kind of pivoting, changing some stuff up, having to kind of adapt COVID. Now we're kind of hopefully slowly kind of moving out of that, but what, uh, how's the business different than maybe what it was October of uh, 2019? Well, we've had to focus a lot more on um, catering to private groups versus the public tours, especially you know earlier this season. Um, people were really looking for um, outlets where they could still have fun with their family, you know, or people in their bubble, I guess you could say, and uh, still get out and have a good time. So we started hosting a lot more uh, private group tours and, and uh, presentations and things of that nature. Now, are these like birthday parties? Are these like, you know, maybe just get together like, or like, a, you know, maybe a group of people from an organization get together and go do that, like team building or some kind of offsite or like an office going and doing it? Yeah, basically all of the above, anything and everything. We've done veterans groups, we've done clubs, we've done school groups, you know, um, a lot of the schools got uh, funds from the government to do trips and, and things like that that kind of was part of the big... Um, packages that they've got for, uh, because of COVID. Uh, so they had to spend a lot of that money. So basically any kind of uh, ideas that the teachers were coming up with as far as presentations for the kids, uh, they were given kind of free reign to do that. So we did tons of groups with, uh, you know, middle school students, high school students um, earlier this year. And so that was a lot of fun. Are you, are you, you're focused more on, I guess if someone had to genre, put a genre around, is focused most, mostly on history, right? And then well, you know, like what, how, how would you classify the, it, it's, the greater Adirondack ghost and tour company? It's haunted history. It's, okay. it's history with a twist, I guess you could say, because you, you really can't have one without the other. You know, you can't have the ghost stories without all those murders and hangings and things that led to the ghost stories. So, you know, uh, battles and, and uh, you know, it's, it's really uh, a way to repackage history in a more exciting and engaging way, uh, especially for young people. You know, so that they, it makes it a lot more relatable and a lot more digestible and interesting. You know? Have you uh, have you ever been to Salem, Massachusetts? For a I have. How, and how it, was that? Because I've been my, my news feed's been blowing up over the last like week or two with people venturing out there and going to you know all the you know different monuments and, and you know you sure. know better than me, but like all the locations. 
Um, how's that compare? Because obviously that is like Halloween Mecca. Oh, sure. If you go this time of year, it's absolutely nuts. <laughs> from, from everything that I've seen, I've never been there around Halloween, but just from the photos and videos that I've watched of people that have you know, made the trek this time of year, it's just now, it, over the top. So I was actually diving into it the other day because and, and, it, it had to do with uh, ghosts. It had to do with witchcraft. It sure, had to do with like... All, like so he had an element of this... this uh, you know, the spookiness to it and this, this, you know, um, abnormal out of body kind of thing. And then you tie it into, did it happen? Do you know if that happened around Halloween or is it just people go there because it's like hangings and they kind of turned it into, well, I'll tell you, you know, it's funny that you should bring up Salem and a lot of people bring up Salem when they're talking to me about places they've traveled that are involved with the, the paranormal and stuff. Cause a lot of people, you know, when, when we chat during the tours, they bring up their repertoire of all these crazy places they've been to or the Lizzie Borden house or, or Salem or different haunted, uh, hotels maybe they've stayed at. And so a lot of people bring up Salem and I have a personal connection to Salem and a, a lot of people don't know, um, my, I, I like doing a lot of genealogy, family history, that sort of thing. Well, I got a story for you. No, keep going. Okay. I got a story. Because it's, it's fun to know, you know, where you came from and your, your ancestry and all that. So, uh, years ago, while doing the family research, uh, I found out that I am a direct descendant of my 10th great-grandmother. That's 10 greats. That's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of greats. 13 generations back was a woman by the name of Susanna North Martin, and she was one of the women who was executed as a witch in Salem, Massachusetts. She was hung on July the 19th, 1692. And I've been to Salem and sat at the memorial right next to her name, and it's a really eerie feeling. Wow. Yeah. That's your, so that's 13 generations. Back, yeah. Wow. Salem, Massachusetts. That's why, because it was, what, 19? Or 1692 and 1693, that was kind of the... Uh, well, that was, when right she, well, that was when she was executed, was the summer of 1692. And I think it lasted for you know months leading up to that, because she sat in prison for quite some time. Which is crazy. So back then, from my memory back then, wasn't it, didn't it start because a bunch of young girls were accusing people of witchcraft? That's, being possessed by the Yeah, that's the gist of it. Yeah. And then it was just hysteria and everybody... Cause, and, and what I was reading is they, something had happened similar to it over in Europe... I think prior to this, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of it, there was connections to it, and then it was just kind of crazy how, of course, now day and age, someone's like, well, they're putting a spell on me. You're like, okay, let's check some facts here. Back then, it was just like, she said that you, you are, so therefore you are. Yeah, well, plus their, their intense you know, religious views of the period and all yeah. of that helped fuel that. And there's some speculation. There's been a lot of theories over the years, but w- one of the theories was that their grain supply had actually turned moldy, and this mold uh, had caused them to have hallucinations, oh, like you know. High, so they were they yeah. were tripping basically, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, uh, you know they were having hallucinations and blaming it on witchcraft, and uh, so that kind of sparked fun guy that was yeah, sitting in the corner. Exactly, yeah. it sparked the whole thing. Is, is that confirmed? You know, or is that no? Still, that's one of the theories. The yeah. Um, yeah. You kind of, but like looking at that and kind of seeing what they do for, um, you know, when you tie it into like this time of the year and Halloween, and I believe. Uh, what what's the house that's there? That's from um, was it um, what, what what's the the movie? It's a famous movie in Salem. Yeah, the House of the Seven Gables. I believe so. What movie is that from? Do you remember? It was it the the Three Witches? 
Oh, you're talking about Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus. That's yeah, it. okay. I was going to say Bewitched, but it's not that. Yeah, yeah. Hocus Pocus. So that, that's in Salem too, right? Yeah, sure. That was filmed there. There's a lot of different sites where people go around town. Yeah, visit. that's so it's cool. It's like So tying in, taking away Salem, because now we're, we're bringing it <laughs> f- f- five hours, four and a half hours back back uh, west side here to yep. uh, Plattsburgh. Yeah. Um, What's it like right now in, like I said, people are, this is the build up to Halloween. Like yes. you start to see the costumes, you see the candy, the leaves are changing on perfect timing and everything's happening and getting that, that you're getting that Halloween feel right now. So yeah. does that get your juices flowing? Get oh, it, it definitely does. It, it, when, you know, beginning of fall, late summer, when it starts to get that little crisp in the air and you see the leaves starting to turn a little bit, it really starts, you know, you start <laughs> gearing up, you know, oh, it's coming and, and uh, you know, it just kind of reaches its peak this time of the year. Uh, cause everybody wants to go out and do something fun and spooky around Halloween, uh, get the kids out. But this year it's going to be on a Sunday. So we're going to have, you know, Friday, Saturday to do ghost tours. It's, it's going to be fantastic. That's probably the best buildup though, is, is to have it on a Sunday for you. Yeah. Because yeah. Sunday's like, it's crescendo and everybody's going to go out and do their thing on, on like the candy and all that stuff. And typically Saturday night. You know, rumor has it there's a lot of bars that might be doing some, you know, costume gigs and stuff. So, but it, like you kind of put in, it's like it could be a good like Friday, Saturday, like roll oh, right yeah. into that time period. Yeah, Saturday night's going to be huge uh, this week, I think. And how many tours are you doing this weekend? Uh, we're doing two tours Friday night, two tours Saturday night, uh, and then we've got a couple private events that are going on. How how many people potentially could you get up to on those nights? Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, we don't require advance tickets or reservations, so basically. People just come Show down. Show up at the you time. And, yep. Yep. Um, what's the most... I think we asked this last time. What's the most you've ever had at one time? Have you broke 100? Um, close. Uh, uh, I think it's 93 or 94. There's a couple times I've, I've driven by and seen like... I mean, like a lot of people walking. Yep. walking, And it's, you kind of look and I was wondering, like, is that over 100 people? Like, And it must have been like around Halloween, but you see... It's, Actually, it's typically not like one or two people. I've seen yeah. that, but most of the time I see a good group of like yeah. a couple dozen that, or you know, might be a dozen people. But some nights it's, it's, I mean, you're tens, tens and tens and tens of people. Sure. Uh, this year, uh, Battle of Plattsburgh, we were uh, involved with uh, the Battle of Plattsburgh schedule this year, and we had a blast hosting that, and that was a huge turnout. Uh, we had some special things uh, scheduled for our guests those nights. Uh, that kind of tied in with the festivities here in Plattsburgh for the battle commemoration. Have you, because I remember the last time we were talking, you were talking about potentially putting on a couple more routes. Are you still in the works on doing that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Have any new ones popped up since? Well, this this year was kind of um, abridged, I guess you could say, because of COVID. We started late in the season, um, you know, because we weren't sure how things were going to go. I, I think it was into June when we started up this year, whereas normally it's April or May. But... Um, I have had a couple of things on the back burner that I've been working on in my spare time. I've got at least two more tours ready to go. Like they're all, they're punted, right? Or not punted, but they're, they're, they're like, these are locked. One's in the can and another one's kind of still finishing touches, but they're they're pretty close. How long does it take you to develop a tour? Six months is what I usually tell people between plotting out a route that's going to work, uh, doing the research, you know, doing any sort of, um, Oh, interviews that I want to do to get uh, side stories or anything like that. Uh, yeah, there's a whole process that I do. So when you go through, so you go, you do one, one of the routes, say, I always use the one here because it's, it's close by, but say mm-hmm. you do the route right by the station. Dr. Beaumont's Tour of Terror. So, which I love the name. <laughs> how, how many different versions of that tour could you give? Meaning, because you only oh, have geez. so much time to tell stories. So it's like, yep. how many stories can you get in on a normal route versus... 
hey, I got that. And I could probably make this five different ways because I can add in like a big chunk of other stories. Sure, sure. And, and Or like skip a building here and there. Yeah, I mean, each tour is kind of a fluid thing. You always want to be kind of looking at your watch and thinking a few steps ahead because if it's a huge group, sometimes you have to, um, you know, kind of take in the slack a little bit or, or, or whatnot, depending on how you're running for time because each tour is an hour and 15 minutes. And you, you've got a little leeway between the end of one tour and the beginning of the next, but you really got to kind of uh, be, be thinking of where you're at as far as the schedule. Um, so is there times you might potentially skip over a building for lack of time or like say, hypothetically, there's five buildings and you have a story on all of them. You might only tell two or three stories of the five just because of time. Sure, sure. And then the uh, next tour, you'd switch it up. Yeah, yeah. Always doing that. Uh, and, and of course, just to keep things fresh, I, I'm always you know pulling some older stories out, plugging some new stories in because there's always, there's so much depth of things to choose from. You could make a tour that's five hours long if you wanted to. Now, the tours that you have, do you keep deep diving sometimes into those tours even more to keep finding new stories? About oh, yeah. Absolutely. So I must keep the fun to it. Yeah, all the time. And, and that, that keeps it fresh and exciting for me because then I'm like, oh, I want to share these neat little tidbits that I've dug up that are new about this. So, Do you get any any people as you walk around like get like gas from the crowd? Like, oh my God. Like, you know, they get, oh yeah. Like, Holy crap. I didn't think that was there. You yeah. told me a couple things about the station here in the last <laughs> podcast. And I was like, I'm like, I didn't even know, like not even close to knowing that. I'm like, that's really cool. And it's just yeah. stuff you're like, wait, that happened here? And like, oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Right there, there, there. Yeah. Like president so-and-so sat right there. Yeah. Like, like, wow, this is pretty trippy. I, I, that's one of the things that makes it so rewarding for me to do what I do because it's just seeing that light bulb come on in people's you know brain or that, that, that spark in their eyes when you're dealing with a, a group of high school kids or, or middle school kids when they make those connections. Like, wow, that happened right here where we're standing. Yeah, that happened right here. And not only did it happen right here, this is what you're seeing, hearing, smelling, you know, if you were standing here on that day, say, 200 years ago. I, I like to almost like we're transporting you back in time into yeah. these, into the shoes of these people and make it, uh, you know, real. And, uh, um, you know, you're kind of pulling aside that veil of the passage of time and, and showing these people real... Uh, history you know in real time what, what i always found fascinating have you ever seen like the let's take like new york city at the build-up of new york city and they talk about like the difference of the skyline over the last like 150 mm. years yeah and See, the shoreline in the shoreline because yeah, yep. that's obviously grown out so sure. like you start seeing this you know in the like time lapse of all these buildings going up to where it is now yeah i would love to see obviously this is not going to happen but it would have been so cool to see something from the waterway of just like what plattsburgh obviously plattsburgh hasn't been built up height wise a lot but you know filling in the gaps or bird eye, bird's eye view of things just getting dropped in cause, uh, that know. happens in my brain whenever i'm yeah. doing research so, yeah. for these things i mean that would be that would be such a cool thing if you could ever potentially obviously it's a hell of a project but document that whole thing where it's like oh, hey, yeah so from you know se- uh late 1700s 1812 like and you have like points in where it's like Every five years, ten years, or whatever, this is what Plattsburgh ended up. This building went up. This building came down. This one came up, went down. This road was added. This road got paved. Like, mm-hmm. and just kind of seeing the transformation to like where we're at now, because it's like you said, it's. Oh yeah, I, I can picture it in my head. That, that, that would be a fantastic thing to do digitally. Yeah. So it just like turns into like this timeline mm-hmm. that you can just you can see how everything just tracks. Like just yeah. the amount of stuff you could sit and see. Because now we have, you know, again, it's not huge buildings, but you have buildings enough that obstruct your view to other places. Sure. Where if you just sat here and looked, you'd be like, 
Yeah, I can see the house a mile away because there's nothing between me and them. It's fields sure. and the, you know some a cornfield and or cow cow pasture. Well, example of that right outside your window here. The the river shoreline was right there by that fence. Which would be so cool if that was still the case. But you yeah. know, the, the, the Saranac River was twice as wide as what it is today. And everything beyond the outside of your window here was filled in by man. Um, is that pretty typical of, of uh, like waterways and stuff in cities? They just oh, keep, sure. That just goes out. We take like, uh, like I said, New York City, or if you take some cities that are on rivers like Chicago or something like that, they just naturally kind of encro- and, uh, encroach on the river. Oh, sure. I, I think in a lot of communities big and small the you know once early settlers came in they started manipulating the the, the waterways and the, you know to kind of facilitate commerce and industry and that sort of thing even even uh, rivers that were rerouted underground just to get them out of the way you know things like that and you know it was crazy we talk about like rivers underground which i again i went to new york city one time i was like how do i get to the map was showing how to get to brooklyn mm-hmm. was it brooklyn yeah i think it was brooklyn I remember like driving and I'm like, we must have to take the ferry and I'm not thinking like, duh, idiot. There's a bunch of tunnels that go underneath <laughs> the water, which is just, right. you know, it's just something you take for granted. It's kind of like Montreal. They have uh, I forgot what the tunnel was called up there, but there's mm. a tunnel that goes under the river. And right. It's like, sure. You know, it's just, but it's kind of cool when you start hearing like uh, Elon Musk talk about like bo- the boring company about making lines that go through or tunnel vacuums that go through. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like what have, you know, what is tech uh, transportation from back then to now how it's like evolved. So Back then, again, a lot of horse and buggy and a lot of, you know, walking and footsteps. And, you know, I'm well, assuming uh, horse was the main transportation. Oh, sure. Stagecoaches, yeah. horse and buggy, uh, wagons. Well, I'll tell you a secret. There's a there's an underground river in Plattsburgh. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> See, the, the person I told you that was going to be – this is so full disclosure, we'll get to these questions later. Sure. I told Matt before, there was someone that want, really wanted to be on. Uh-huh. So I'm glad you're saying this because this will blow their mind. So, yes, keep going talk about the underground river. Okay. Uh, on the earliest maps and charts of Plattsburgh, there was a creek that ran from the vicinity of where the Hawkins Hall Pond is and kind of meandered its way down along Broad Street, uh, Couch Street, that vicinity. And it crossed Margaret Street right about where the intersection of Brinkerhoff and Margaret is. Mm-hmm. And there was a bridge there. <laughs> and, and we're not talking a small bridge. It had embankments that were almost 20 feet high. And the buildings along Margaret Street were built on pilings so that they wouldn't fall into this creek. And over the years, as Margaret Street was built up, you know, we're talking, you know, late 1700s, early 1800s. I've read accounts where it was still there in the 1820s and 30s, I think. But by that point, they filled it in and rerouted it beneath the street. And it dumped into the Saranac somewhere along the backside of... uh, uh, um, Durkee Street, somewhere wow. in that vicinity. And it's completely gone. You'd never know it ever existed, but it must still be there. Now, would they have filled it in or would they put like some kind of like culvert system? It, exactly. Kind of and the water still runs through? Exactly. So yeah. that's like a drain from Hawkins down there that started potentially. I right? would think, yeah. Yeah. And uh, wow. another one over on uh, Hamilton Street and down along. Um, Macomb Street, right next to the big mansion at what is it, twenty two Macomb, the great yeah, the big, Low, ma- the, the Lowell mansion, the Lowell mansion, yep. right next door to the Lowell mansion. Its side yard is this huge depression that's that's down in. It looks like a hill, and it, uh, you can't really see it unless you were to kind of get out of your car and, and really look 
over the fence there. But there's there's a stone wall that runs along the road, and you look down, and it's it's quite far down in. And what that is, if you were, once again, to look on these early maps and charts of Plattsburgh, they referred to that as the ravine. And it was a, a, a dry creek bed that ran from Hamilton Street over towards the lake. And over the years, it was just filled in until all that's left is that depression next to the Lowell Mansion. What, so when you go across, so Plattsburgh, like you said, th- this obviously has been built up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Going back down, like the, tr- the track as it goes back along here, it pretty much follows the waterway. So that's pretty much where the boundary line was. Like, like Plattsburgh hasn't gone east into the lake, uh, lake Champlain too much, or has it? East. Uh, Going towards the lake. No, not too much. Um, you know, an area that they called City Island, which is, you know, in, in the mouth of the Saranac, that was built up significantly. Uh, a lot of that was done by the, de- uh, you know, the the railroad, the Delaware and Hudson, you know, expanded their, their presence substantially in the 19th century and built out a lot into the river and into the bay. Um, but one, once you start going south, I don't think there's been a whole lot of manipulation beyond that. You go up in the bluffs and you start getting a little bit higher. Port Kent, like that, the trains go goes up, but it's yeah. high up there, so it's a pretty steep climb. Um, so the genealogy thing I was going to tell you about, I sure. saw this yesterday, and also this is how the internet works, some some <laughs> odd reason. So I like podcasts, so I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast the other day, and he made a comment, just a. a, a a comment he's, he talks for three hours it's like random comment that he makes about he's like the united states is basically you know people can live to be a hundred years old mm. so he goes the united states is basically three people three generations old and, and, and like in the concept of like if somebody was born right when you know the the you know late 1700s when the united states was formed if you go 300 years to where we're at now there's still that's we're not even there yet. So when you like, you look at that, he's basically saying if you could live to a hundred and then chronologically, we're really only three generations from the start. Meaning we're such a young country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I was like, Oh, that's, yeah, that's kind of a weird thing to think about, but that, that is true. It's kind of, you know, something that, well, you think was, about, you know, classical civilizations in, in ancient times, like Rome was around for a thousand years, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it, this is, we still are kind of a baby in, in the relative world sure. space. So, yeah. so then, of course, I'm sitting there and I was checking YouTube last night and something pops up and I'm like, are, are you kidding me? Because it must be, I don't know, if I listen to it, they tied it in or whatever. And like, I don't want to get in the algorithm of how that stuff, search stuff works. <laughs> but all of a sudden this, this pops up. I look at it. James Taylor... James, John Taylor, James Taylor, tenth president of the United States. Oh, I know what you're gonna say. Okay, yeah. what's James or John? John. John Tyler. Tyler. John Tyler. Okay, so my presidents. I'm yeah. Bad with presidents. Um, had a girl on here. She would say all the presidents about Sierra Gagno did it in like very cool. thirty seconds in order. It's incredible. Nice. So James Taylor. John Tyler. James Taylor, the player. John <laughs> James, Tyler, the singer. Here, yeah. I'm gonna write it down so I don't put John. Said John Taylor. John Ta- Tyler. Tyler. Okay. Yeah. I used to know a lot about history. James but as, Taylor but is a singer. I know. I, I, I see fire and I see rain. I love it. Yeah. So he's kind of wears the hat you wear too. Yeah. So, um, so John Tyler. Um, so again, don't don't brief me on my my U.S. history right now. Ten, ten years ago, I've been really good. I used to like I was really good at history. But John Tyler, tenth president of the United States. There was an interview with his grandson. I know. And then his with with him was his great grandson. Yep. His great grandson. I would deem based on that is probably like in his late fifties. 
His father, maybe 60. Yep. His father, at least at the time of that, was, I think, 80, late 80s. Yep. And they did some, like, how does this work? And they showed the, you know, the uh, chronological order. And it was back then, like, they had gotten divorced. They had gotten remarried to a much younger yep. woman. Long generations, sure. Yeah, had, had a child. Then it was rinse and repeat on the second generation. Mm-hmm. So this guy was born in 1920. John Tyler, I think, was born in like 1850. My no, 17, no, whatever the dates were. Sure, it ended up lasting up until now. But that's is literally he's like, yeah, my grandfather was the tenth president of the United States, was the president <laughs> before Lincoln, was the president yeah. before, and here Amazing. we are in 2021, and he's still alive, and his great grandson is should live for another 30 to 40 more years, yeah. which is insane. Could say my great grandfather was actually the tenth president of the United States, which is still <laughs> wild to think that yeah. that's the generation, but that fills in. Yeah. So you might be able to put the gaps in there. So John Tyler, when was he the president? 18... I don't know the exact date. I know he was born in the 1700s. So I think it was 1850 was when his his son was born. Yeah. In the prior marriage. And then this guy who's still living was the youngest of that. And he was born in like the 19... I think it was like the late 1920s, early 1930s, something like that. But he, he was... His father was 70-something years old when this guy was born, which you can see how that generation sure. like, expanded pretty quick. But You, you know, so it's wild. funny. That, that reminds me of a story. When I was uh, younger and the Battle of Plattsburgh, you know, was a huge event. You know, it used to go on for a week, and, and there was all these different uh, uh, memorial services and whatnot. You know, even to this day, they still do a, a memorial service every year in, in Riverside Cemetery, which is fantastic. All the officers are, that died in the Battle of Plattsburgh, many of them are buried there. And uh, representatives come down from, from Canada or, or whatnot representing you know the British side, and they have all these VIPs. It's just a fantastic uh, uh, part of the commemoration that I'm honored to be a part of every year. But in any case, uh, one year I was taking part, participating in the event, and... Uh, dressed as a reenactor as I do. And, um, I was kind of listening out of one ear to what the, the commentator, the MC was saying, and he was introducing the different VIPs and dignitaries that they had sitting there that day. And one thing that kind of caught my ear was that he mentioned that there was members of the McDonough family that were there. And, uh, for those of you that may not know, uh, Commodore Thomas McDonough was in command of the American fleet out here in Plattsburgh Bay uh, during the battle, September the 11th, 1814. And he was kind of one of the heroes of the Battle of Plattsburgh. So just really interesting that there was family members here. So that kind of made my ears perk up. I thought to myself, well, after this ceremony, I'd really like to go and introduce myself and, and kind of pick their brain a little bit. So once things that had come to a... Uh, an end uh, I went over and there was this little old lady that was kind of you know her her relatives were kind of helping her walk around the cemetery and and I went up and I introduced myself and I said I heard them introducing you I, I was just curious how were you in related to Commodore McDonough and this lady was she just was ancient you know how you can tell when someone is tremendously old yeah. and, and I shook her hand and her hands were just so thin, you know, and, and she was just very, very elderly. And she said in this clear voice, she had these sparkling eyes. I can just remember plain as day. She said, he was my great grandfather. That's wild. <laughs> and this wasn't that many years ago, really. Yeah. And uh, I said, my God, how is that possible? She says, 
very long generations in my family. She said her father lived to be a hundred, you know, and that would have been Commodore McDonough's grandson. Wow. And, you know, and Commodore McDonough was born in the 1700s. So that's only a few generations removed. And she's since passed away, but I just felt so incredibly privileged to have that moment, you know, that connection with that living bit of the past. Well, I think what you, like, I would say once you get past, like, the great, then you start getting into, like, the great, 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 great. Sure. So, like, so when you say someone's, like, my great, like, most of us, if we're lucky enough, get to meet our great grandparents, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a normal circumstance, not the long generations, but normally. So sure. when you look at, when you put that in perspective, like to me, if I say great, like I never met my great, great grandparents, but I met my great grandparents on, you know, a few of them. Yep. So just to hear that and say like, like obviously she never met them, but it's still that lineage wise, it's the sure. same, same relationship. Sure. And um, her name was Isabel McDonough, which is yeah, so amazing. The same name. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, the, the thing that really, you know, kind of tickled me and it made it so much more amazing. As a little girl, 1926, she unveiled the McDonough Monument. <laughs> really? She, yeah. She was the, like, you know, cut the ribbon and stuff at the ceremony. Wow. And she had these, these recollections of, you know, the parade riding in the back of the car. And she was maybe seven or eight years old, something like that. So how old is the monument? 1926 like, was when it was unveiled. Wow. Yeah. Do, do you know who built that? Who built it? Yeah. Um, was it any the same designer? I say, well, the they, the architect was John Russell Pope, or I should say that the architect was yes. that the same guy who did the Washington Monument, or no? No, uh, John Russell Pope did City Hall, the McDonough Monument, and he also did the Jefferson Memorial in Washington D.C. and the National Archives building. So if you, I always tell my guests this on the tour: if you were to Google the Jefferson Memorial, you know, f- very famous mm-hmm. landmark down in Washington D.C. If you were to look at a picture of it side by side with Plattsburgh's City Hall, they have literally the same appearance, same columns, same dome on the top, almost the same form, uh, only difference is size. And uh, well, and the, the, the uh, City Hall is made out of uh, Indiana limestone, and the Jefferson Memorial, I believe, is white marble. But um, just the fact that they're so similar. And you make these connections, and people are like, "Oh my God, that's that's crazy." What was the what one was built first? I'm assuming the Jefferson. Or no? I don't know the exact year on the Jefferson Memorial. Uh, uh, City Hall was finished in 1917. Um, because if you t- if you look at the it's the obelisk, right? That's the, the name of the shape when it goes up and has the point, it looks yeah. like a pyramid. Yes, but I mean that's the Washington Monument. So there's a lot of DC right in that little pocket oh, of sure. the city, which is really cool. I mean, just. I don't know. I, I think City Hall is beautiful. Like the oh, look it of is. it and everything, and just it like is. the steps going up, and like you said, the the limestone and yep. Um, they tore down an entire block of buildings to build that. You know, if you see pictures of Plattsburgh before you know nineteen seventeen, yes. you'd never know any of that existed uh, because there was an entire row of buildings where the McDonough Monument is, and then there was an entire block, including a church. There was a livery stable, like where where City Hall is. That's not the church right behind City Hall, right? Isn't there no, like a little... that's Trinity Church. Uh, that different church, different one. This was a Catholic church. Um, where was where was the formal City Hall prior to that was there one? There it had was to be some kind of government center. Yeah, there was. Um, Plattsburgh's, I guess you could call it a city hall offices were in what was basically the fire station. It was across on the other side of Trinity Park where there's a parking lot today. Okay. Uh, it, that was the fire station, and the upstairs floors above the above above the fire station was the uh, the, the village and t- city offices until 1917. Yeah. 
Um, so Plattsburgh, um, I've seen old photos of like Plattsburgh go down, you know, Margaret Street and have all the different signs and the billboards and things like yep. that. When did that start popping up as like a, a kind of the major pathway through? Was that back until like early 1800s? Oh, yeah. So that was always a major pathway? When, the, the, the founding of the community, I mean, it, it sprang from the water. Because Lake Champlain was the super highway of the day, mm -hmm. so you had to have access to the water. And the river kind of formed this, you know, highway right into the middle of, of what would be the downtown area. So right from the very beginning, Margaret Street was what was called the State Road back in those days. And that was your route that came from Canada and continued south towards New York City. And it literally came right through the heart of, of Plattsburgh. So. so old, I mean, we're in the oldest part of Plattsburgh right now. Yes. Right? That, the, this down by the waterfront. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming the oldest roads in Plattsburgh, in theory, are Bridge Street is probably that. And then going maybe Broad Street. And well, the funny thing is. Were they different names, different, different styles? Like, yeah. One of the original founding fathers of Plattsburgh was Captain Nathaniel Platt. He was one of the brothers uh, that came up from, uh, you know, downstate and were the original proprietors of Plattsburgh, I guess they called them. And uh, he and his, his brothers, Charles and Zephaniah, were mm -hmm. the, the original founder, founders of Plattsburgh. But the neat thing about uh, Nathaniel Platt, he was well into his 60s when his brothers convinced him it'd be a great adventure, you know, to come up in here into the northern wilderness and found a new settlement after the, the, the Revolutionary War. And probably one of the reasons why they wanted Nathaniel Platt on board so badly was because he was a surveyor mm -hmm. by trade, just like George Washington. And if you're going to be building a new town, yeah, that's a pretty handy thing to have around. So Nathaniel Platt's job was to lay out many of the original roadways that are still in use today, uh, you know, over 200 years later. I, I always find it fascinating when you take stuff you know, that long ago that still holds up today historically, like still like that's still the best path. That's still now, obviously some of this with the building, it gets harder to change stuff, but mm -hmm. you got to think at that point, they had the wherewithal that certain things just never change, you know, like different directions and, you know, pathways from the river or from the, or from the lake or, or along, you know, kind of easy causeways that go up and down. It's just like, I love the history aspect of like what has changed, but what hasn't changed. So like, what's a couple of things in Plattsburgh you could point to like, this really hasn't changed much since, the founding of Plattsburgh. Yeah, that's one of the things I love. You know, I get feedback from people on our Facebook page when we post these, you know, old photos, photos of, of the of day. The, of the day, yeah. Yep. And there's usually either one in, one of two extremes. It's either the image has changed so much you never knew that this ever existed, or it's exactly the same. <laughs> you know, it's usually one of those two extremes. Um, Let's see, things that have, uh, haven't changed too much. Uh, Margaret Street is a good example. You know, the, the layout of Margaret Street hasn't changed too much um, since the early days of Plattsburgh. Bridge Street, um, the waterfront has changed pretty severely. Um, in the days before the river was filled in, not only was it twice as wide, it was considerably deeper before all the dams and things like that were, were built upstream the the natural course of the river it was bigger and, and uh, deeper wider so at one point you could actually sail quite large ships right into downtown Plattsburgh uh, and there was an area uh, off from Green Street that was known as Clark's Landing it's and like people 
little marina or little pier. Yeah, exactly. And they would load and offload goods and cargo and things right into downtown, like like you would think of on like the Mississippi River or something like that. So how how far could they go up the Saranac River? I mean, they t- you're talking like going all the way up, like in the Saranac, like that far far deep. I don't or? think you could go up that far. Starting uh, because once once you started getting uh, west of Plattsburgh, there was uh, rapids and there was a um, a uh, a cataract there that was called uh, De Friedenberg Falls, there where there was a sawmill in the early days of Plattsburgh. So you definitely couldn't get up beyond that. Who are some uh, notable people in Plattsburgh in history that we may not know of? May not know of. So we like the Platts. We had the Platt brothers. Yeah, sure. They're, sure. they're obviously the founders. Is there anybody else you'd be like? Actually, this like and a lot of them are named after you know buildings are named after them, like the Fredenberg and and at least the the college. Mm-hmm. But is there anything that you could? Think like here's a here's a dark horse like history thing that maybe like you may not know this person existed up here or this person did this in this community but maybe is not well known for it. Well, there's so many people. I, I I often say all roads lead to Plattsburgh. It's funny. I'll, <laughs> a lot of times I'll be doing research on some completely unrelated event, and I'll be you know oh, oh this is an interesting character who played a role in this, and I'll be researching them, and somehow that's tied to Plattsburgh, or they were born in Plattsburgh. You know, for instance, I was doing um, uh, some research a while back on John Brown, mm-hmm. the, the abolitionist, and uh, his raid on Harper's Ferry uh, where he got caught and later he was tried and, and executed for his role in that. But uh, when he and his followers kind of um, uh, attacked the U.S. arsenal down at Harper, Harper's Ferry, they sequestered themselves inside of what was the fire engine house and they made it into like a little fort and they you know they they uh kind of attacked uh the u.s forces that were trying to capture them for for a while and they held out in inside of this what they called the engine house and so troops were dispatched from from washington to go and get him out of there you know and one of the commanders of the troops was robert e lee and one of the other ones was a marine and his last name was was Green, and uh, he was born in Plattsburgh. <laughs> so, was Green his last name? Yeah, Green. Um, now, so down in Harper's Ferry, I remember reading about this. He he was going down because he was against slavery, right? That was the back then. He was a complicated character. There was a lot of uh, he, yeah. He was definitely anti-slavery. Um, and how, what's his ties to Lake Placid? Because he's he's buried up in Wilmington. Uh, or not, North, North, North uh, Elba. Yeah, North Elba. He's right. Yep. Yes, he's down by the ski jumps area. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, he had a he had a farm there. That's where his homestead was. And uh, after the raid on Harper's Ferry, his his sons were killed there, and he was later tried and executed. And they returned his body up here for for burial. And that's where he's at. So he was from up here. Even even when he went down there, his roots were North Elba at the time. Yeah. I, he wasn't up. He wasn't like born up here, but this is where he had settled and had had some land up here. Now, when you dr- you've been to his uh, gravesite area, I have. Yeah. When you drive up and there's like that loop that goes around, isn't it set back a little bit? Like you can just go and see it, right? It's oh, not sure, like sure. It's, it's just, a it's, it's like- a historic site. There's a you know a little museum and stuff there. Um, I went. Well, I was actually I, I went up with my wife one time and I was trying to kill time, so I was like want, dr- you know driving around. I'm like I've never actually seen this place. I know it's up there, so then I went and drove. In. It's easy to get to, but it's mm-hmm. kind of a nice little peaceful drive back there, and it's kind of like I said, just 
set off almost like on a little hill. Like you walk in this big open area and it's just kind of sitting there and they have, they have a couple little buildings up, I think for the historical aspect of it. But yeah, the, the actual farmhouse is there. There's a couple of barns. And that, is that the original? It is. It is. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, there were later additions that were put onto it in the 1800s that, that, that they've stripped off. But what's there is the original farmhouse uh, restored, I think, as, as close as they can get it to when Brown lived there. Now, now what about restoration of, of things in Plattsburgh? Like what has been, what, I guess from your research, what buildings or landmarks maybe have had to have like man-made restoration to kind of keep it up and running? Is there quite a bit? Like I look at the station. Has the station had any... Any work over time has, you know, the city hall has some of these old, the Lowell Mansion, have any of these had any like work to, to preserve them and make sure they don't crumble or fall or just kind of like, you know, because I went, like the other thing is I went in, I don't know how old, the Elks Lodge is for sale or was mm-hmm. for sale. So I went in there and there's some old stuff. Like when you start going up in all the places, I'm like, obviously I don't know how old that is, but yeah, it's um, haunted. <laughs> it, it's a little, it's a little creepy, it but is. it's, so is there anything that you can think of that's had major restoration done over time to keep it like, still functioning today well i know that the the train station that you mentioned had a huge restoration done in the 1980s early 80s i want to say uh when they did you know a, a complete like structural refurbishment of of the building itself that, that yeah. was about 100 it's 1886 it was built so yep. that's now the elks when you say it's haunted is there any stories that you know of oh yes <laughs> so give us a, like give us at least one or two like good like haunted things like the bowling alley one of the bars like yeah this. yeah um well, that story is included on our Dead of Delord's Point tour. <laughs> that, that's, that's, the new, that's the newer one. That's right? the newest one. We we in um, we uh, released that one to the public about three years ago. Uh, so it's it's time for to to do some new ones. But that's our newest one. Uh, it came out the year before COVID, and um, that's one of the highlights of that tour is uh, that story about the Elks Lodge. It's got a really interesting history, and a lot of people don't realize that once upon a time, it, that was built as a single-family home. There's 24,000 feet there. No, I, yeah. this is probably when they added on the, the building. The, the, the ballroom and whatnot to the left, that was added later. Yes. But the, the main structure, the Victorian three-story mansion, that was built as a single-family home for a childless couple. Two people. <laughs> Who, do you know the names? Yes. It was Congressman John Weaver and his wife, Frances, of course. And, and what, what year? Early? 1895. 19- wow. Yep. So they just had money to spend. I mean, it's beautiful. It's up on the bluff. and It's just kind of hanging out above. So Yeah. I, I really, I mean, that house has so much potential, uh, you know, for somebody who's got some vision. Uh, I really hope it finds its way into the right hands uh, as far as yeah, I don't you know, know, a new it's, owner. It's pending. I don't know who's, who has it. Purchased. I saw that. I saw that. I've had multiple people ask me, do you know who about the, the Elks Lodge? I'm like, I, I don't. Like, yeah. Not yet. I'll yeah. know when it closed. I could ask the agent, but they probably shouldn't tell me who closed on it yet. Or- <laughs> neat, neat thing about that place, though, and it, this ties in with what you were saying about things coming from what we deem to be the past into the present day and these connections. Um, that place has only had like two owners since it was built. Them and then the Elks? Yeah, that's it. Really? It, it belonged to the Weaver family. And uh, John Weaver, he died in the house, uh, 1914, I believe. And then the house was vacant for like two years. And then the Elks bought it in 1916. And boom, that's to the present day. Um, so how do you find if something's haunted? <laughs> <laughs> like, 
Like, when you had to pick, like, if you're like, that's haunted. Well, it's not like, like Scooby-Doo, right? You yeah. Go in to look for the guy. Drive the van up. Yeah, slide sure. Slide door open, jump out. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of research, you know, and, and um, mostly it, it starts with some sort of a... Somebody will send me a message or, or something on Facebook about a personal experience that they have, and then I'll start digging into it because uh, a lot of people share their stories, which, which is fantastic. Stuff you'd never find in any book. You know, I, I love hearing those tales. And the Elks, because they had such a huge membership, there's always been a lot of people in that building who have had weird experiences over the years. So some of those people have shared those with me, and, and I just build upon that. It's, it's a process. So I went in a... I showed, went with some clients to take a look at it and the people looked at it. It was a couple and they, they looked at the house and, or looked at the building and they're like, what do you think about it? And then I followed up with them the other day to like, we just get a really weird sense that this is just, you know, like I said, kind of a haunted, like there's just stuff that like yeah. went down here that just doesn't feel comfortable. And I look at that. It's like some people can just feel that. And they sure, just sure. Like ha- they feel like an eeriness. Like, yeah, just yeah. something's not right. Everybody, I think, has a varying varying level of uh, sensitivity to that sort of phenomenon or activity. Some people don't seem to pick up at it, on it at all. And and then there's others that are on the spectrum, uh, you know, extremely uh, s- sensitive and, and all points in between. So I, I think people at varying points in their life sometimes do that. They'll walk into a place and they'll just get this spine tingle or, or this, this, you know, uh, sense that, that something's not quite right with this place. Like for instance, the, the Elks club, one of the experiences a lady told me about, obviously they used to have weddings and all sorts mm-hmm. of, uh, private events and things that they would host there in their ballroom and facility. And one lady told me that she was going around visiting different venues for her wedding reception and she said, for whatever reason, she just walked into that place, and the the, the hair just stu- stood up on the back of her neck, and she just said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh," you know, and turned around and walked back out. This is probably not a good place for a wedding to get married yeah. in, a, in a haunted place. <laughs> not you know, not starting yep. it off on the right foot. The uh, so um, so again, haunted. Most of it's just people say stuff, and then that's kind of like what triggers the the deep dive. And what about the idea of like a sixth sense, or the idea of like people have this like you can't like. You can't really quantify it, but you can feel it, and you're just like, you know, there's, I'm, or like when you go into a room, or you might be just sitting down and maybe paranoia or whatever, and all of a sudden you just feel like something's happening, and you're like, sure. I, you're looking like nothing's moving, but it just feels like there's someone here with me, or it feels like there's a movement. I think I don't can say everybody, but there's times like I've had where it's like something just doesn't. Someone here, like I've had times here in the office, which mm. who knows. Um, I think Nicole said she thinks this place is haunted. Maybe it is. We'll we'll defer to you on that. But (laughs) there's times I'll be sitting here and I'll like hear something and I'll like, I'll I'll be by myself working and I'll like get up and I'll go and I'll like open up the door and I'll go like check the bathroom. I'll check the conference room. I'll check like, I'm like, anybody here? I'm like, no. Okay. And I go back and sit down. I've had that happen multiple times. Sure. And, and I'm not like a ghost, like, but usually it's like, I just feel like someone's in the office and you go in the, there's nobody in the office. The door's locked. Nothing, nobody, nothing's happened, but you get this weird sense sometimes that there's someone like in the office. Now I'm not oh, going to sure. go around saying it's haunted, but <laughs> if someone said this building was haunted, I'd be like, yeah, I could believe it. There's probably yeah. a little bit of that. You know, there, one example of, of a situation like that, that I personally experienced, um, my girlfriend and I, we visited the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast in fall river mass. Okay. Uh, which is kind of a, I tell, I, you know, I'm unfamiliar with that story, so 
Oh, well, Lizzie Borden, uh, she lived in Fall River, Mass. in the 19th century uh, in a house where she grew up, where her parents lived. And well, there's a lot of theories, but there was a axe murder, basically, that took place in the house. And a lot of fingers were pointed at Lizzie as being the culprit that she had actually murdered her parents, more or less, her father. And I think it was her stepmother, I want to say. But uh, anyway, the murders took place in the house and they were horrendously gory. Um, You know, the the old rhyme goes, Lizzie Borden took an axe gave her mother 40 wax <laughs> or gave oh, her father, I, gave her mother 40 wax. And when she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. I, I think I that's how it that. goes. Okay. Yeah. No, I think you're, I've heard that like little, that little yeah. thing before. So that's, so you went to, that's a bed and breakfast now. It was a bed and breakfast. Um, I, I know it's changed ownership in the last couple of years, but, uh, I don't know what the current status is, but when we went, it was a, a bed and breakfast. Yeah. And they take you through the house and they've tried to restage it as closely as it was at the time of the murders. And the crazy thing was, this was in the late 19th century when this took place. The investigators brought in the big, you know, box cameras that you picture from the movies with the flash and all that, poof. And they photographed the entire crime scene with the bodies present. I mean, they did the autopsy like right on the dining room table in the house. So they photographed all this. And the people who run the bed and breakfast, the museum, they tried to replicate the exact layout of the furniture exactly as it is in the crime scene photos. And then to, to even... Same furniture? I don't know if it's the exact same okay. furniture, but as close as they could get, you know, replicas or, or yeah. you know, stand-ins. So... Then they blew up the crime scene photo and they hung those on the wall. So you're looking and you're looking back and forth between, you know, (laughs) there's the dad's body lying on the couch and you're looking and there's the couch right in front of you and all that's missing is the body from the photo on the wall. So it's it's really, uh, you know, cerebral to look at this stuff. And when you walk in, whether it's just the combination of the way they've got it set up or something else, you can just feel this, this heavy, you know, like something bad happened in this place like you you know i don't consider to myself to be uh, tremendously sensitive or anything like that but you could still feel that this this place had some some mojo that was off so how many people could stay in there at one night like how many rooms in the bed and breakfast yeah i don't really recall there was there was um i mean it was more than just you you and your girlfriend at the time there was other couples. oh yeah yeah there was a whole tour that they took us through and there was people staying there and there was multiple bedrooms that you could stay in. And one of the bedrooms where you could stay was the bedroom where the mother was actually murdered. And they've got the crime scene photo of her lying on how the floor. Does, how much does that go for a night? I have no idea. <laughs> right next to the bed where you can sleep. You know, it's <laughs> So was, it, was that girl convicted? Um, she was acquitted. I, they, they couldn't prove without a shadow of a doubt that she had actually done it. And it was, it was the crime of the century at the time. It was all in the newspapers and, and, uh, it was, you know, tremendously, uh, popular in the public imagination, this fascination with Lizzie Borden. And so, um, she kind of lived with this hanging over her head for the rest of her days, even though she was acquitted. Uh, you know, it's It's, crazy. Which is, uh, you kind of look at people like that when it happens to them. Cause obviously at the end of the day, they're the only ones that should know if they did it or not. 
Um, it's kind of like the OJ thing. Like, did he mm-hmm. do it? I, well, I don't know. Like OJ knows, you yeah. know, and they, but you yeah, know, it was kind of the Simpson trial of the 19th century, I, I guess you could say. Just not Roy Bronco, probably a stagecoach, like <laughs> running <laughs> yeah, off into the right. hills, you know. Um, now what about, uh, another, another kind of spooky thing, um, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Headless mm. Horseman. Yeah, that, had, that was New York, Terrytown, uh, Washington Irving, or Irving, Washington, Washington Irving. Yep. Washington Irving had You're a right. Didn't know if it was interchangeable, but <laughs> the uh, Irving Washington, Irving, different Washington, guy. It kind of actually sounds the yeah. same. Sounds like two first names. Uh, so Washington Irving. So um, wrote the book. What go through that? Is that actually their? What, what's the town again? Well, it, it, it's Terrytown, but they've Terrytown. rebranded themselves Sleepy Hollow. That's oh. actually what they call themselves. And then, like the Headless Horseman That's and right. Ichabod Crane, and because yeah. like, high school called Ichabod Crane. Like, so yeah. I kind of go into that. Is that still? Is that was that fictional? Was that based on true events? Was that kind of a, well, a I think merger it, of the two? Yeah, I think it had a lot to do with uh, you know folklore of the Hudson Valley and that sort of thing. And and he kind of uh, seized on some of those different stories and, and put them together into his tale. Uh, that's a really interesting story. I, 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 definitely a favorite of mine, Washington Irving's Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Uh, and even the remake with Johnny Depp. That's a really good movie too, the, the Tim Burton version. Um, Tim Burton and Johnny Depp together in any of those movies, just up the creepy yeah. factor. <laughs> right. like they're really taking right. I mean, it, they're well done, but like yeah. when you take, like we did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, he was a really yeah. dark Willy Wonka. You yeah, know, and, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Johnny Depp, when he's not playing, um, when he's not playing, uh, who's the character in um, the pirate movie? Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, Bla- uh, Jack Sparrow. Jack Sparrow. Yeah. yeah. So when he's not playing Jack Sparrow, he plays like all these creepy, like... Sweeney wa- Todd. Sweeney Todd, these <laughs> whitewashed it. faces. Love with, it. Like the weird hair and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Edward Scissorhand yeah, and all these like sure. crazy kind Another of Another like, Tim Burton movie. Yeah, these yeah. like twisted like little tales and Tim Burton... I mean, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, he's great. But if you look at this stuff and like, I mean, obviously his mind's like crazy, but he does all these like weird things that he kind of brings out this, this, uh, I, I love the aesthetic the, that he uses. Yeah. It's fantastic. Fan, and like, well, yeah, he's got like the sharp, like, like take, um, uh, Jack, uh, Jack O'Lantern, right? What's, what's uh, no, Jack Skellington. Jack Skellington. Yeah. I, I'm getting all my names. Mixed up. Okay. I don't I remember the, so, but he's got like the, the collar with the points and he's uh-huh. got the slend, he's got the pinstripe suit yep. and, and you know, you got the weird faces with the scars and like almost looks like a stitched up baseball with yeah. eyes. Like you start like kind of like what's in this guy's mind? Yeah. His jack-o'-lanterns all have a very similar kind of aesthetic with the big mouth and, the, you know. Yeah. And he's like kind of the, up the creepy factor. I'd say like yeah. Tim it. Burton is the like fantasy. And then you have like Quentin Tarantino, which is like they're both like very, you know, eclectic, like weird. Like, yeah. but, but it's yeah. both movies are great. Like both styles are great. And like Quentin Tarantino, I love his movies, but they're. You know, certain people have to like his movies because they're just so bizarre and off. But he's another one with a very strong aesthetic, you know, that kind of goes. Oh, from absolutely! Amongst all of his films, and, yeah. and like the law, and like the chapters, and and the uh, I've asked people before: Have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? That one I've not seen. Okay, that's a great one. So, but I, I I like a lot of them, but they're always that slow, slow build. Same thing. Like you watch that movie, and it's whatever two hours and forty five minutes, classic Tarantino, you know, length and. He goes through it, and it's like this slow build up to the point. It's two hours and forty five minutes, and like two hours and fifteen minutes in, you're like, "There's really not much going on in this." Like he's mm-hmm. like he's planting that the slow seeds. burn. He's, he's yeah, he's like kind of setting the stage. He's kind of pointing at like different locations and little subplots and things. And you're like, okay, and then all of a sudden, like again, last twenty minute crescendo. You're like, boom, this is incredible. Yeah, and it like just catches you off guard. Like man, how like, but it's like in their mind, and they come up with these like you know, like I said, these intricate stories and. um 
What's your favorite part about being a storyteller? Oh, the craft. I, I, I love, um, you know, I, I guess you could call it world building where you're kind of just weaving these stories and, and uh, th- through the words that you use and the articulation and, and even the inflection of your voice and whatnot during the storytelling, uh, how you're just building this story in the listener's mind. You know, I, and I love seeing that feedback like you know you're seeing it in real time as you're talking and you're you're seeing the interaction of um, you know the listener I, I love that aspect of it you know you're just weaving this story and and uh, it's just a really interesting and kind of intimate thing when you're when you're telling a story and, and you're really in in the moment so because history's history you look it up you, you mm-hmm. get it but how history's projected and how you're giving the story there's a, there's an art form to that because again you take all these sure. stories and then we talk about plotting it out but then you know what story might tie into a story or lead into a story or which one's like the bigger punchline story where like you have some good facts like okay like you go through and then all of a sudden the one that like jaws drop and like oh really and like you, i mean I'm assuming you focus on when to drop those in. Those oh, little, sure. Like, not, like knowledge bombs that kind of catch yep. you off guard. Well, history, I mean, history can be a, a, a subject of extremes. Like it can be either the driest, worst subject you've ever seen, or, or it can be the most amazing, you know, interactive, fascinating topic you've ever seen, depending on who's telling the story and how they're telling it. What, uh, what, what's your favorite, what's your favorite thing of history to learn about? Is it Plattsburgh? Is it a certain time period? Is it a certain location, certain event? You know, I, I really love the local history uh, just because, you know, I can visit those spots and, and it, it's um, immersive. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can visit the place where something actually happens. It makes it that much more real. And whether that applies to Plattsburgh or say, you know, Fort Ticonderoga or this, the Champlain Valley in general, there's so many layers and the depth of history here is so rich. Um, I mean, it, it, um, it really um, touches on so many different time periods and, and uh, subjects. You, you could learn about this area forever and not get bored with it because it, it just um, touches on so many things and so many people that came here. And like I say, all, all roads lead to Plattsburgh. So even things on the national scale, when you're researching these events, like John Brown's raid on Harpers Ferry, for example. I mean, who knew that the guy that led the force against John Brown was from Plattsburgh. So you can really tie all these things back to our local community. And so what would you deem, let's take Plattsburgh out of it. Is there any other part of history that you would, you would think that you're a, a very strong subject expert in? Like if you had to say like, are you like, War of 1812, but that's local. But is there anything that maybe that's not from the area where you're like, I actually, I know a really a lot about this battle in the Civil War. I know a lot about a certain time period. Mm. Uh, well, I like to consider myself kind of a generalist. <laughs> I know a little bit about a lot of things. Um, but uh, I, I do know a lot about military history, um, you know, early wars that the United States was involved with, like you mentioned, the War of 1812. Uh, just because of the connections with the Battle of Plattsburgh, the Battle of Alcor, you know, if you go back to the Revolution, and, and in order to understand where those um, engagements kind of fit in on the grand scheme of things, you have to know a lot more about, 
you know, the, the, the events as a whole. Well, it's got to help too with time period and, and, and like understanding, like you said, the, the, the culture of the time or understanding sure. like how, you know, we might've been influenced. Everybody's, you know, we're always influenced eventually by like a New York city or Boston or Montreal or something like even back then, same thing, major passways, you know, New York to Montreal, you have to pass through Plattsburgh. Like there's really no way mm-hmm. around it where you have to go through the North country. So it's, sure. you know, you kind of look at, there's ways that we're right now. And back then, you know, those areas rub off on us. And I, I look at it from my standpoint, like from a real estate standpoint, most trends come from the major cities. And over time, they kind of filter out to the, you know, I'd say the suburbs and the countryside and everything else. So it's like you're always in tune. Um, history, I would think, is the same because most people came, like most people don't go to Plattsburgh. Most of them coming to come through a direct route, which is probably a major port. And then eventually, sure. you know, the, the brave ones continue on and find new land and find new, new uh, locations. Um, One of the other topics that I really like is uh, the, the the social aspects of, say, the 19th century. I, I really enjoy digging into the history of, um, like, the recreational activities of the people during that time period. Uh, for example, I really am fascinated by a lot of the big hotels that existed here in the Adirondacks and, and in the North Country during that period where wealthy people would take trains or steamboats from the city just to come up here and spend the entire season. You know, they would they would just set up at one of these giant hotels like the Hotel Champlain, for example. And, well, they were so wealthy, they could just stay here the whole summer. So I was going to piggyback off that. So the Hotel Champlain, I have a book. It's actually behind you on the shelf, but it's about the golf course. Mm-hmm. Have you ever looked through that one? Yep, I own that one. Okay, so, but like, I look, and I haven't read through the whole thing, but the beginning chapters, and I, I want to just sit down and actually read through it. It's black and white photos mm-hmm. and me having played the course and like looked at it, there's things that I'm like, I think that's whole whatever. And then you kind of see how things are built up and done and the way that the course has changed over time yeah. and how houses have popped up and how, and even in the last like 15 years, there's things I know that have happened and I'm like, Oh, I remember that was there and that was there and people that haven't played it. would be like, wait, really? I'm like, yeah, they used to have this here or that. And then cause it's always evolving, but they had up on, well, Hotel Champlain is where the Clinton Community College is, right? Yeah. The, Am I wrong? The, the best of grounds? No, the, the second hotel is still there. It's the main administration building is yeah. the old hotel built in 1911. So, and they had photos of that, but then they had photos of the men would go play at Bluff and yep. the woman would play this game out in the, I mean, I think you probably saw in the book, like in, in almost in a clock game or something in the, um, kind of in the quad, I guess, area, like where uh, Clinton Community College would be. Mm-hmm. And I forgot what the game was. It was kind of like, again, you go through the clock. So I think there's 12 holes, which is all the hours of the clock. Oh, okay. And they had a certain game they played with that. Interesting. And I didn't think twice about it. I read it in the book and it was like, okay, like that's kind of cool. And it had the picture of the, like the, the woman out there with the big hats and kind of like the big long <laughs> right, right, dresses right. and they got the club and like almost like a croquet style game. And this was a, about a month after I, I got my hands on that book and kind of flipped through it. I was at Bluff Point, the actual golf course, and I was we were waiting to tee off and hole ones right next to the putting green. And I'm sitting there and I was on the phone waiting. So I kind of walk off the edge of the putting green just to kind of go where it's I'm not loud and people can't really hear me. I step over this block in the grass that I have never seen before. And it was a Roman numeral template. And then I believe there was another, I think it was the same thing. They had a clock that went around the green and I've played golf for a long time. I've never heard of this game must be like you go to each clock and must be some kind of like get up and down or something from each location. 
But I'm wondering if that was taken off that's Paul, if that was taken from the old and they kind of brought it back to the putting green at the course, but I've never seen it before. And then I watch it and I read that. And then I looked and I noticed there was these, like I said, these Roman numeral templates. Like That's I amazing. saw like a four and five. Oh, and fantastic. So, so it's kind of one, I don't know if you want to like literally deep dive into that kind of yeah, thing, yeah. but that's, I just thought it was kind of neat because I've never seen it before. And all of a sudden here it pops up. I'm like, wait, you know, that's the I've thing. never seen that at a golf course ever. And yeah. Here go. That's the thing that really gets me going is when you find a real, you know, a, a physical relic from the past you know that's still there that Mm -hmm. just where the past just reaches out and grabs you you know like there it is this is where people played right here on this spot and there's the little uh, numeral you know part of me thinks is this something new they've added in the last month because i remember chipping on this green like a couple months ago and i never noticed it Hmm. and here it was just walking and i stepped over and i'm like wait it's kind of like when things pop what, what is it like the teacher pops when the student or the the teacher appears when the student asks or whatever that, that saying is. It's almost like certain things pop up when you're least expecting it because it's now it's like you're aware of it. And all of a sudden, it's like something that was probably always there that I like almost like a blank slate never saw in my life. All of a sudden, pops up I'm like, wait, that's incredible. That's there. And I mean, mm-hmm. because I had context or whatever. Sure. But it's funny. Like, I've never seen it before. So then I'm it's thinking funny. in my head, is that like, was that recently added or not? It's a little weird. So. Yeah, I, I know Paul. I graduated with him. So he's a good guy. Well, next time you t- ask him about that. Like, I, I heard there's. Do you have Roman numerals or a time? Yeah, thing I'll, have to, I'll have to mention that to him. I, it, it was a very odd thing, but I thought it was kind of like, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of cool. It was yeah. like a cool thing that it caught me off guard, but I was like, it was in the very book. cool. Uh, okay. So I had the questions for you. We're going okay. to dive, gonna here, dive here, into some of these questions. Here we go. I'll be honest. I have not read these questions yet. So we'll see. <laughs> could gonna, be anything. Could be anything. I'm going to ask, literally says questions for Matt. So um, the first thing, it was kind of a, a second thing that she thought of after the fact was, the old children's home on Bailey Avenue. Yes. Okay. What? What? Where is that? What is that? And can you kind of dive into that a little? Oh boy. <laughs> yep. Okay. So you're talking about the structures that are on the east end of Bailey Avenue. If you were headed east, they're on the left-hand side. They're known as a Tiffany Way Apartments, I believe. They're kind of the yellow, yellowish buildings. Yep. Shape. And we're talking about the original buildings that are on the front that are facing Bailey Avenue. The, the gray buildings that are off the back, those, those were all put up later. But originally, the organization that ran that was known as the Plattsburgh Home of the Friendless. <laughs> That's not a, a terrible name or anything. Uh, and it was an orphanage. It was basically a home for uh, unwanted children and... Um, basically women that didn't have any place else to go. Uh, and this was an organization that was started back in the 1800s. Uh, and then eventually, as it kind of evolved, it became the children's home. They kind of rebranded it because the name wasn't the greatest. They rebranded it as the quote-unquote children's home of northern New York. And uh, they built, I believe they built that facility on Bailey Avenue around 1912, I want to say. And there was kind of the administration building in the middle, and there was the the buildings to the left and right. And one was the girls' dorm, and one was the boys' dorm. And this was for orphans. Orphans, yeah. And that that facility functioned well into the, I want to say, 1950s, 60s. And and now it is? It's apartments. So it's apartments. But is it pretty... 
It's haunted. Have you ever, it, so that would be one you think is haunted? <laughs> I know that it's haunted. I've spoken with uh, some of the people that have rented there over the years. And there's all sorts of experiences that people have had. So when people say something's haunted, like what are some of the like what are like, stories or themes that people give you? Is it like feeling a touch? Is it feeling like something moving? Is it physically seeing something? Well, one lady, uh, given you know you know that building in particular, this lady mentioned to me that she was in her apartment in her bedroom. Um, I forget what she was doing, maybe taking off her makeup or whatnot. And she was looking into the mirror and she said, as she was, you know, kind of, uh, doing her routine in the mirror, she saw a child run through the room. And when she whipped around and looked behind her, there was nothing there. And she said, at first she couldn't imagine what was going on. She ran over to the window and like looked out the window <laughs> and, and only then it kind of dawned on her that maybe she had had some sort of a paranormal experience. Was this in recent times? Maybe oh, yeah. like, like our lifetime kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you think kind of going back to the mold story of, of like the, the tripping off the mold there, do you yeah. find that when people see stuff, is it physically seeing it? Like you, like, these are like legit, like, no, I was just sitting there and this happened. Or do you think that could it be something that was altering their state of being, whether it be stress, emotion, whether it be, you know, it could be as simple as maybe not feeling good sickness, or maybe it could be, you know, on drugs. Maybe it could be something else like gassing gas coming in, or all of a sudden you got like, like a, just a weird gas that comes in and kind of puts you in some kind of state where your mind's a little, a little high a bit. And then you're just kind of hallucinating. Well, I mean, there's there's so many theories, it, and um, I, I think even with hauntings, quote unquote, I mean, that's a very broad term. But once you start digging into the 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 the, the science or the theories behind it, there's there's so many different types of hauntings, and, and it's it's really you know a lot of schools of thought, and, and you know if you watch any of the shows on TV, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, and any of that sort of thing. You know, some of the presences, the ghosts, the spirits, if you will, they seem to be kind of cognizant and you can interact with them, whereas others seem to be kind of like a, almost like a recording that's caught in a loop. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, it's not the, the entity is not cognizant of its presence. You know, it's just like a like an impression that's that's imprinted on something. Have you ever felt paranormal activity? I have. Yeah, people ask me that all the time. You know, I I can't say as I've ever seen anyone running around with like a sheet over their head with holes cut in it, you know, or anything like that. But there have been times when things have happened on some of our events that I couldn't necessarily explain where, you know, the guests have experienced something and they've shown me some evidence that they've captured, whether on their camera, cell phones and pretty convincing stuff. And then there's been other times where we've had actually something happen. For example, uh, one evening I was leading a tour out at the former Plattsburgh Air Force Base, which obviously there's a lot of depth of history out there. And it seems like whenever you have these these layers of the past that are kind of piled on top of one another, you always kind of have this, this other that's left behind. And so we were coming back, the tour was basically over, and we were finishing up our route headed back towards the post cemetery. And being a tour guide, I'm always aware of what's going on in the group behind me. And I could hear people kind of out of one ear, the, the group was trailing back along the path, and I could hear people kind of murmuring from the back of the group saying, 
you smell that? What is that? What's that smell? What is that? And, and this murmuring was coming up through the group, kind of towards me. And then this smell went past me. And it was literally as if somebody had just walked past me puffing away on a pipe. And my first thought was not something paranormal. My first thought was, okay, who's, who's smoking in the group? Yeah. So as I was talking to the group in the moments after that, I kept looking to see who was smoking. There was no one smoking. So I asked the gentleman next to me, I said, a few minutes ago, by chance, did you happen to smell something maybe? And he said, yeah. He said it was the smell of cherry pipe tobacco. And that's exactly what it was. And as I thought back on it, it had gone against the breeze through the group from back to front. And then it disappeared, this smell. And I think, honestly, that it was just someone, maybe one of those old soldiers that was just checking in and seeing what we were up to or letting it know that we were around. And a lot of times a haunting isn't some freakish thing like you see in the movies. It's very subtle. You know, it's one of those things that you could just as easily say, ah, you know, if you were, if you were a skeptic, but you know, it, sometimes it's picking up on those little subtleties. It's kind of like a, fo- like ghost FOMO, like fear of missing out. Like you yeah. just want to come in, like check on, like what's sure. going on. Like, sure. um, so I, I guess like if, if it was to happen in a group, have you ever felt it when you're leading a, a group and all of a sudden, um, you might feel something, whoa. Wait, this is now. This is a. This is a. I haven't seen an Amtrak go by in a long time. Mm. Wow, are they back running? Uh, apparently, I, apparently. I, apparently. <laughs> no, I haven't seen an Amtrak go past this, and and I don't know when the last time they ran, but I'm thinking like pre-COVID. Hmm. I, I have wow. a buddy of mine who's a huge railroad enthusiast, and he. Uh, uh, you know, chases the special locomotives and takes photographs and stuff. He's huge into it. So uh, he would be the expert to ask. On that. I've seen many cargoes trains go back and forth, but uh-huh. I have never seen the passenger train. That's that's first. That's the first one I've seen since pre-COVID. Headed north too. Yeah, that's yeah. the first one. That's why it kind of caught me off guard. Like I'm like, oh, here's the train. I saw it was the Amtrak. I'm like, oh boy. Okay, I'll have to look into that. But huh. I, yeah, because usually I'm like, okay, here we go. We're gonna have two minutes of just. Um, so back to. Um, so have you ever felt during a during a. Um, leading a group all of a sudden you feel something and it's just like kind of catches you off guard or you stop in mid story or stop mid walk and just say like explain what you just felt or is it kind of you just keep it to yourself and just like i don't know that just happened you <laughs> kind of process it a little bit like, yeah no sometimes there's a little bit of of both it depends on if it's just me or if other people in the group are picking up on it because i always like to acknowledge that stuff too because it just gives people a little kick you know and uh uh, just lets them know that they're not the only ones that are, you know, enjoying the room. Exactly. And it all adds to the experience. It kind of heightens the drama and stuff. It's, it's a lot of fun. All right. So, okay. We got five, five questions. I'm going to read them exactly how they're written. So, okay. Top three most haunted locations in Plattsburgh. Oh boy. Um, let's see. I would have to say the old stone barracks would be right up there. Which is Valcor now. Valcor Brewing Company. Um, the Old Post Cemetery, which is right behind there. I mean, these these locations are right near one another, but um, th- those would be right up there as far as my picks. And then let's see, for a third one? Hmm. I'd have to think about that for a moment. There's, there's a lot of places in Plattsburgh that really have those neat stories surrounding them. 
Uh, but then there's other places that are more conducive to the actual activity. You know what I mean? Uh, McDonough Hall is another another good one. Uh, even Hawkins Hall on the college campus, those two would be right up there too. Um, a lot of the employees over the years have told me about experiences that they've had or spine tingles where they're working late at night and they've heard things or experienced things. So like Hawkins uh, or McDonough, so those, well, one's a dorm, one's obviously the college, but like, was that, those are what, late 1800s, those were probably built? No, they're a lot more recent than you might think. Uh, actually... McDonough Hall, it's built in that colonial style, but that was kind of by design. The opening of that building was 70 years ago this month, 1951, October 10th, 1951. And the reason that I have that uh, on on file so quickly is because I actually gave a presentation there uh, just this past week for the students at McDonough Hall, the residents, uh, about how haunted their building is. <laughs> and uh, uh, it was kind of in commemoration of the, the, the opening of the building 70 years ago this month. That's why it, it is. It, it's a really cool building because you drive by it. It's oh, just it's like, great. But it catches you off guard because it's in a weird spot. Like it's kind of that like, intersection. So you, you pass past, you go past it pretty quick. Mm-hmm. But maybe you just stop and look at it. It's a, it's a very unique looking style considering all the other buildings end up being these like you know, three level low rise buildings that kind of go, and then you have a couple of the high rises, but they're they kind of boring looking. <laughs> you know, they're just yeah. like, you know, it's yeah. kind of that goes straight up. Um, okay, next question: train station history and ghosts? Question mark. Question mark. Well, obviously, this was a utilitarian building, and it stood outside of a a commercial hub. You had the rail yard basically right outside the front door here. So, any time where you have that industry, that you know element of danger you always have to, these accidents and and things of that nature working in the railroad yard so there's a lot of stories that are associated with traumatic incidents that have happened in the railroad yard like people getting killed and things in in accidents uh so there's always been a lot of stories about hauntings associated with with this place uh and, and then you tie in elements of of tragedy that have been tied to it like for example some of the remains of victims of the titanic disaster came right through here did you say uh, a stair came through was uh fred astaire who was the really rich guy on the boat oh astor 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 the the remains of john jacob astor uh likely came right through here and he, he was and i know in the movie titanic i believe was the guy um, in the suit with the, the mustache. Yes. In one of the scenes, like in the, in a, the lounge I think everybody scene. had a mustache. Then, yeah, but, yeah, 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 I know it was a bad representation, but he's like the tall guy. There's a scene yeah. with him like in the, whatever the room they called it, but it was kind of like a lounge area. Yeah, maybe. He, he was the richest mustache. Yes, the, the richest mustache. Because yeah. at the time, he was one of the richest guys in the world. He was the wealthiest man on the Titanic at the time of the maiden voyage. And uh, he was, you know, you were mentioning about things you know an awful lot about. I do know an awful lot about the Titanic and its sinking. I've I've been fascinated by that since I was a little kid. Just fast, absolutely I, fascinated by that. I, I don't know what it, maybe the movie obviously like heightened that for a lot of people. Sure, but I think sure. that that's something when I was a kid, movie came out, then everybody deep dived into this boat. But then there's like the uh, the Britannia or the what's the one that crashed off the coast of Ireland? The, the Br- Lusitania. The, was it Lusitania? Yeah, Lusitania. So like you start going through with some of these, like there's other shipwrecks, but the Titanic is like the big one. You know, that's the one everybody knows. Yeah. Maybe because yeah, Titanic was... or the Titan, like it's like the idea that the ship was un- unstoppable. Well, the fact that it was the largest ship in the world. I mean, there's so many facets to that, 
uh, story that make it so compelling. You know, that not just the largest ship in the world, but also, you know, had some of the richest passengers in the world. It was on its maiden voyage. There was all this hubris surrounding it that it was, you know, unsinkable and, and all of these things. It, it was just, just a, you couldn't have written a better story if you were trying to. Um, and that, that was off the coast of what, Newfoundland? Yeah, sure. So it's yeah, really, it it's really not, in, I mean, distance wise, it's not that far from where we live now. I mean, cause you know, it was like, it was wow. in theory, probably what 80% of its trip done at the time, maybe 75%. And, and a lot of the, the, uh, you know, it was headed to New York city. That was yeah. where the, where the destination was. And Plattsburgh has a lot of ties to the sinking of the Titanic. There's about seven or eight different connections between uh, the city. Can and, you give us and one the sinking? Yeah, sure. Um, when the, this is a really good one, when the Titanic was leaving uh, on its maiden voyage uh, from Southampton, there was an incident that a lot of people don't realize. I mean, people just kind of it left and then they skip forward to the the sinking. But while it was leaving, it was leaving the dock and it was passing other ships that were moored there the morning of the sailing. Uh, this would have been April tenth, nineteen twelve. It passed two vessels that were tied up uh, alongside the dock there. One of them was another White Star liner called the Oceanic, and another one was a, a different liner called the SS New York. And when the Titanic passed this ship, we're talking just minutes into the start of the voyage, the water that was being displaced by this huge, you know, unprecedented vessel of its size passing by these moored ships, it caused the ropes, the cables that were holding the New York to the dock, it caused them to snap. And the New York started to swing towards the Titanic. And the captain, the pilot, they realized that there was this impending disaster that was about to happen. And some tugboats were able to get a, a line on the New York and they were able to pull it away and it missed hitting the Titanic by about five feet. Wow. Yeah. And it was only quick thinking by these people that prevented it from smashing into the Titanic side. And if that thing had just grazed the Titanic, just scratched it, they would have had to turn around and go back, you know, for an inspection or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so um, that incident, by the time they pulled the New York clear and remoored it and whatever, that incident caused an hour delay in the sailing that morning. So did that hour put the iceberg in the path of the Titanic, you know, that, that hour that changed the course of history, right? So the Titanic goes off, has its date with, with destiny, sinks into the icy waters of the North Atlantic. The SS New York was requisitioned for troop service during World War One. The U.S. Navy took it and used it as a troop ship, ferrying troops back and forth to Europe during World War One, And they renamed it the USS Plattsburgh. Really? <laughs> yes. The same vessel? Same vessel that almost hit the Titanic. Now, why was it named U uh, or US or SS Plattsburgh? USS Plattsburgh, because it was a Navy ship. Uh, because of the battle, because of the training camp that was here, Plattsburgh was super well-known uh, during that time period, so... Uh, wow. there, yeah, it was renamed the USS Plattsburgh, and it served uh, and carried tens of thousands of troops to Europe and back under the name SS, uh, USS Plattsburgh. So then, after the war, it reverted back to its original name, SS United States, 
And later on, uh, uh, after the Titanic sinking, 1915, it also transported some of the victims of the Lusitania uh, back to New York City. When did that vessel retire? Uh, 1920s. Wow. Yeah. So it had a career. And where, where, did it, where did it end? Uh, they scrapped it. I'm not sure exactly where. So you're but... not sure if it was Europe or the States? Oh, it was scrapped in the States for sure. Oh, it was? Yep. Um, okay. Next question. Let me see. Okay. Why are you so passionate about ghosts? <laughs> well, I think you know, the next three I have to do more with ghosts. Sure, <laughs> sure. Absolutely. I love ghost questions. Um, I've always been interested in it since I was a little kid. Uh, something about the paranormal and there being this kind of unseen world that, you know, that we were kind of aware of, but not aware of, you know, and, and the interplay of that with history and how you can't have one without the other. So it really, really kind of sparked this interest in me uh, with, you know, little bits and pieces of the past that still might be lurking around, you know, that those presences being tied to history and tied to the past and, and being kind of a living essence and an embodiment of the past that's around us all the time, like whether we're aware of it or not. Who, who would you, in history, if you could have one conversation with someone that's no longer alive, that you would just love to pick their brain and get their actual account of what happened in history during their time period they lived? Mm. Like you come back sitting like you and I, take me out of the picture. Is it, you know... One of the Platt brothers, is it, you know, someone from Plattsburgh? Is it some other person in history? We're like, I'd really like to pick that person's brain one-on-one. Mm. Uh, that's a tough one. Uh, as far as local history, Thomas McDonough would be a cool one to chat with. I mean, he joined the Navy as basically a young boy. And where you was know? he from? Uh, I want to say he was from Connecticut, okay. I want to say. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was one of those guys that went to sea as a young man and basically made a life out of it, made a career out of it, climbed the ranks through the Navy, and he started as a, as a, a midshipman. That's when they started off in the officer ranks. And he served during what they called the Barbary Wars. He went over and uh, fought against the Barbary Pirates. And uh, he had this whole career before the Battle of Plattsburgh, you know, where he really became a, a heroic figure even before he ended up here. And even when he was here, he was only in his 20s, you know, so he oh, was during the war. Yeah. War of 1812. Wow, he, so he, he was a young man. Yeah, he was uh, a lieutenant and they bumped him up in rank so that he could command up here. But he was he was a lieutenant. And where did he pass? He passed while he was at sea. Um Nobody really knows for sure, but he contracted tuberculosis. They called it consumption back in those days. And some experts think that he may have become exposed to that during the winter while he was up here, but no one really knows for sure. And he, he became affected really badly by tuberculosis when he was serving in the Mediterranean. Uh, we're probably talking maybe a decade after the Battle of Plattsburgh. And he was serving, at the time, he was in command of Old Ironsides, the USS Constitution which is still preserved down in Boston. And uh, he had to relieve himself of command because he was no longer fit for duty. He was so sick. And he tried to race back home, and he never made it. He died, died on the way home. So he was sea. in his 30s when he died. I think he was about 40. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, again, putting historical context. But I mean, what a life. But he's younger. he was younger than me when he was doing all this stuff. Yeah. Which is insane to think about. And he was leading yeah. it. Like, not like, mm-hmm. so I mean, then I look at that from like a leadership perspective. Like, he must have been a hell of like, Hell of a leader at the point where this, like, yeah. yeah, man, you're gonna you're gonna do it. Like, well, he was he was a young kid when he was over in uh, 
you know, in the Mediterranean the first time during the Barbary Wars, and he served with all these amazing figures of history, you know, Edward Pribble and uh, Stephen Decatur, you know, all these really big names in early American naval history. And there was this one instance where one of the American frigates had run aground over there and had been taken by the enemy. And the American forces didn't want this huge weapon, this frigate, basically to fall into enemy hands like that and to be used against us. So we decided we were going to burn it. So they led this daring nighttime raid where they sailed into the harbor under the guns of the enemy forts, you know, all in disguise. And they had captured an enemy vessel and they sailed in there pretending to be, you know, Turkish or whatever it was. And they pulled up alongside our captured vessel in the dark and they climbed aboard and set it on fire and uh, were able to escape. And McDonough himself was one of the lads that knew his way around this ship because he had served on it previously. And he led one of the crews down below to set the fires. And so he was a hero even before the Battle of Plattsburgh. And even uh, Horatio Nelson, Commodore Nelson, the great English you know, hero, uh, he called it one of the most daring acts of the age that he had ever heard of was these people burning this frigate under the guns of the enemy right under their noses. Um, and it, so this was even younger. He was like early 20s at this point. I think that. he was in his teens when he did that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, um, have you ever seen the movie Horatio Hornblower, that series? Yeah, I have. Those you just fantastic. said Horatio, and I was like, those are really good. I remember yep. watching those when I was a kid. But those were, I mean, and it was funny, the guy who played Horatio Hornblower is the guy in the Titanic That's at right. the end blowing the whistle. That's right. Yeah, yeah, when he's yep. trying to find the people. Or, or not blowing the whistle, but he, going He's the, the one who goes back. He's in command of one of the lifeboats, yes. and he went back. Yep. Uh, I think he was uh, Fifth Officer Lowe uh, was his, his character's name. And uh, he was one of the only lifeboats that went back after uh, the sinking. Now, um, <sighs> oh, pirates. Back then, are, were pirates back then what we classify the Jack Sparrows? Did they look like that back then? Like with the rags and the hair and the little tri- the triangle hats, like was that historic, like historically accurate? Well, in the context of what we're talking about here, these guys were were Middle Eastern, you know, they were they were from Tripoli, which there was a lot of these city states that were, uh, y- you know, in in that vicinity during the time period, and they basically what they would do is they would go out and they would seize merchant vessels and they would hold them for ransom, and unless the U.S. government or whomever paid this ransom, they would hold these crews, these U.S. citizens or whatever, they would hold them in these prisons, in these dungeons. Um, and they were called the, tri- the you know, the, the Barbary Pirates. And uh, Thomas Jefferson, who was president at the time, he didn't want to deal with these people. He wasn't going to pay these ransoms. So he sent the U.S. Navy in. Not negotiating with terrorists. No, yeah, no, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know, hi- history keeps repeating itself, you know. And uh, he sent in the U.S. Navy to, to deal with it. And it was really one of the first uh, projections of U.S. naval force that we had sent out uh, in the day, in the years after the revolution, but they didn't. The, the ones we're thinking of, like the the Caribbean pirates. Do you think that they had that kind of garb? Like the, we take like the Jack Sparrow. Like did they look like that kind of that? Oh sure, I'm, I'm sure some of them did. That was yeah. like kind of the look. Yeah. Um. All right. Fourth question. Sure. This actually be good. I think we kind of touched on this, but any spine chilling experiences that have scared you? Oof. 
One of the experiences, you know, as I say, I, I don't profess to be a, a sensitive or, or have any psychic abilities or any of that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I enjoy the, the, the history and the, the mystery and the lore and, and the storytelling aspect of it. But every so often I'll, I'll get something weird that'll, that'll crop up. Like, for example, one of the tours that we host is in the uh, old Roman Catholic cemetery here in Plattsburgh. And that cemetery has a really interesting backstory and, and uh, it's, it's, it's very disturbed. And wh- where's that one located? It's located on South Platt street, right across from where the old DeRocher or Della Kia dealership oh, used yep, to okay, be yep. right at the intersection there. And that's, that's a, that's a really historic cemetery. It's got a lot of interesting history. It's the, it's actually the oldest Roman Catholic cemetery in Clinton County. Is that where Fort Scott, the, Monument. Uh, uh, the- Fort Brown is just uh, just north of there. Or Fort Brown, yeah, yeah, yep. Th- yeah, yeah, past the reserve center. Uh, so anyway, in any case, uh, that tour, geez, I started doing that one pretty early. That was you know at least seven, eight, nine years ago. We've been doing that tour, and um, the route of it, ha- how I guide people through the cemetery, has kind of changed a little bit over the years. And when I first started doing it. There was this one segment where the tour would get finished and I would have to come back through the cemetery once I was done by myself, (laughs) once people had left. And it can be a little unnerving. I mean, you know, I'm kind of used to it now, but when I was first doing this 10, 12 years ago, it was a little spooky, you know, coming back through the cemetery in the pitch black dark by yourself. Um, So I would kind of try to skirt around as close to the street as I could to kind of avoid having to go through the dead center of the cemetery uh, in the pitch black. And there was a little more light from the streetlights. But what I didn't realize at the time was it didn't really matter because this whole area where I was walking through was all graves anyway, even though a lot of them weren't marked. So as I was walking along on this one particular night, I wasn't really thinking anything I had in my mind like, oh, what am I going to have for dinner when I get home? You know, just my mind was wandering. And as I was coming along, headed back towards the car, I can picture it perfectly. My foot kind of went down into this little bit of a depression that was there in the ground. And instantaneously as that happened, this was a warm midsummer night, no breeze, no nothing. And it was just one of those thick summer evenings where nothing's moving, very still, very quiet. And as I was walking along, my foot kind of popped down into this little divot in the ground. And it was literally just like I had opened the freezer door. Just this blast of cold, ice cold air just hit me in the face. (laughs) And it was enough of a a temperature disparity that instantly I was like, whoa, hey, what what was that, you know? and obviously, you know, the skeptic in me, I, I thought, well, maybe it was a breeze. Maybe it was a, a draft of some sort. So I'm stepping back and moving around trying to find it again. And it was gone, whatever it was. Just that instantaneous temperature drop in that one specific spot. And, you know, looking back on it now, I don't know if it was something saying, hey, don't step on me. Or, or you know, just somebody letting me know that they were there. But I do know now that those areas are all, you know, Graves is what they are. My foot stepped into an unmarked grave uh, where, where these shallow depressions are all that are there, you know, to kind of mark the spot. You walk a little faster after that? I, I did. <laughs> yeah, get, get the hell out of there. Get to, get to yeah. the restaurant. Yeah, and it, it makes your mind race. You know, you're thinking afterwards, like, what was that? You know, it's almost like someone reached out and grabbed your foot, and you're like, I don't want to look back. I'm just going to keep running. Um, last one Do you do paranormal investigations? 
You know, I do not. That is one thing that I don't really get into too awful much. I don't get into the uh, the investigation aspect of it. While it is really interesting to me, we've had guests that bring along some of their own equipment, EMF detectors, digital voice recorders, that sort of thing, and we always encourage people to bring along their, their, their ghost hunting devices if they're interested, if they're into that type of stuff. But as far as... a um, as an event, we we more or less get into the the who, what, where, and why of the ghosts. Have any of those ghost apparatus things ever picked up on anything? Yes, hundred percent. Really? Yeah. And, and the fun thing is, is that then after we talk about it on the tour, we share that with guests going into the future. That hey, right here on this spot, this is the story, and this is what someone picked up one evening. Uh, we've had guests bring along, you know, EMF detectors that have you know, uh, picked up some sort of activity. We've had guests that have captured mists, orbs, uh, things of that nature on their cameras and cell phones. Uh, so I guess it's kind of an investigation in a sense. Um, you know, cause we kind of encourage that sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, switch, switching gears. This is uh, you post, I believe you posted this as one of your photos of the day. Um, not recently, but this was probably within the year. Uh, the old uh, Shazy school. So I went to Shazy. Like, if you're from Shazy, like the old school is like. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. We have, I mean, we have Minor Day at Shazy. Like, oh, it's a yeah. day dedicated to uh, William Minor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the old school itself, maybe the new school, because that's where I went to school. But um, do you have any any stories, histories on that? Any history with uh, Gray Gables, which is across the road? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, th- yeah. there's a rumor that there's a tunnel that connected that they think teachers <laughs> went through. And then they're like, well, no, it was just like a sewer line. Steam and steam pipes. Steam pipes. Yeah. Yep. So any uh, history on the Shays, old school, potentially new school, and then Gray Gables? Yeah. Well, there's always the urban legend about the tunnel. The it's, tunnel, yeah. Yeah, everybody hears about the tunnel. And that, yeah, the teachers and would go through like, it. like, my me. uncle said he went through the tunnel. Yeah, like, there's yeah. always that. It's like the big fish yeah. story. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, it's an urban legend that gets, you know, it, the snowball gets bigger with each telling oh, yeah. of the story. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny because I have a lot of family connections to Shazy. Both my father and my grandfather went to the old school. Oh, nice. And my dad was one of those kids that, that remembers when they – transitioned from the old school to the new school and everybody had to carry their desks. Yep, yep. They basically had a moving day. Yep. And my dad was one of those kids that carried their desks from the old school my mom to the, the new same school. Way, yeah. Yep. yeah. And they always talk about that before they tore down the old building. Yep. And everybody, you know, just laments about the loss of that structure. Uh, you know, cause it was so unique. And the, and the fact that William H. Minor was such a, a visionary, he was so far ahead of his time. Uh, and the fact that he had the money to back up his vision, he spent, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars on projects around the North Country for the really for the nothing more than the betterment of our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, between uh, like you said, Gray Gables, the old school, Physicians Hospital, uh, and, and then his hydroelectric projects. It just goes on and on and on and on. He was really such a visionary and a, an amazing character, far ahead of his time. Do you think there's any haunt hauntings there? The school, I'm not sure about, but I know for sure. That people who have lived who lived in Gray Gables when it was apartments, it's currently you know in, in quite a dilapidated state. Yeah. But uh, the people that have lived in the apartments there were convinced that it was haunted. Uh, and there's always been this story about the apparition of a small boy that was seen there that supposedly, according to the tale, had met his tragic end by falling down the shaft for the dumb waiter. 
because there was a dumb waiter that went up up and down and somehow this boy got in there and fell down and was was killed so uh whether that's an urban legend or not i've never really dug into the story but people always claimed that they saw this ghost of a little boy um the old school again i've only seen photos of it but recently um, a friend of mine and he's the actually librarian at the school has been going through and finding these photos in color from when they were uh, tearing down the school and building the new school up. Mm-hmm. So this is back in the sixties. So like you look at that and of course from us standpoint, like it's always the, the relic there is still the courtyard. They still have the bell tower. Yep. They yep. ring it once a year on class day. Like there's still things that like that's important. Sh- Shazy's got a massive history and it's yep. like, even if you go to Shazy and this was years after I was, I was in school. I remember being in Shazy the day of class day, like going to visit my parents for something or picking something up at their house and you can hear the bells around, like, for a you know, mile or I would say at least a mile away from the school, you can hear this bell ringing. Yeah. And it kind of brings you back and it's kind of an eerie um, feeling because it's like taking, like, we always talk in Shay like, where the past and the present shape the future. That's like their slogan because nice. it's such a history to the school. Yeah. But you look at the idea of, like, you, it's almost like you hear the bell and it like transports you back to, back in time a bit. Amazing. And the bell is so distinct because they play, it's like this, like, this chime that they play almost like the class song kind of thing, but they have this like little melody that gets played and they only do it on class day. So it's kind of like when you hear it, if you're in town and you hear it, like it's, it's, it's a cool experience. And like someone driving down the road, here's the bell. Like what is the bell? But if you went to Shazine, and like, cause again, you spend, you know, you have minor day, you spend like, we, there's stuff you learn about from when you're a kid all the way through. Yeah. You visit, you visit the farm, you visit you know, the, the museum, you visit the, there's a little schoolhouse, you visit all yep. these like, Minor, you know, had a hand in all these things. He did. He really did. Yeah. It's so cool. And like, the, uh, you know, and you go into the Alice Minor Museum and there's yep. like some cool relics there. And they did a really nice job with how they have it. Because it used to go like it was busy and they opened up the back parking lot. So it looks nice now. But hmm. um, there's a lot of history there. And you still like on class day, you do the, the, the uh, they call it the tea. I think they call it the tea. The breakfast tea is still at the museum. And they, they it's one where the alumni are like there's alumni that are there. And then, the, you know, the, the senior class is invited to this tea the, the morning of, I think it's the morning of, of, of a class day or a graduation. Oh. So it's like, there's a lot of history it's to it. It's fantastic to have those traditions, you know? Oh yeah. I mean? and, and, and the thing is what I always love about Shazy, like when we're not in the district anymore, I would love to be, but the, the idea is I think once you're at Shazy, there's such a tie to Shazy that you never lose it. And I think that some people are like, Hey, what'd you do for school? And like, yeah, I went to this school, went to that school and you're Shazy. Like I went to Shazy and you're like, you can tell, I think there's a lot of pride to people that, because it's a small school, but like it's, it's a very rare instance. You go into school in kindergarten and you leave in 12th grade, never leave the same building. Yeah. Like, and I think that's kind of the, the aura of it. It's like, well, that was my kindergarten. That was my first grade classroom. And then here I'm as a senior, same cafeteria, same gym, same auditorium. Like there's just a, there's a, there's a, you really get to like love the school and then you start loving like the alumni are so strong and passionate about it. But I was always just curious about it. Cause I'm seeing like these old photos pop up that are, you know, I, I would deem like, pr- I mean, the color is very good on these. So you point point where you're like, this doesn't look that old. Like when they're taking these photos and they, they've been preserved really well. Well, it was torn down in I want to say 68, 69. I think you're right. Like yeah. That. So, I mean, color photography was pretty, pretty well on its way by that point. But, um, it's funny because everybody always talked about Mr. Minor with this reverence, you know, like he's such a commanding yeah. figure. And, you know, he has ties to Shazy and, and even Plattsburgh, like, you know, Physicians Hospital, which is CVPH today. And, you know, Minor 
even helped preserve the Kendallord house. You know, he purchased the Kendallord house and kind of saved it. I didn't it. know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. You can still see remnants of, of Miner there today. If you go into the basement, when he uh, had the building restored after he had purchased it, it was sagging quite a bit after 200 years. So Mr. Miner was all about the railroad. That's where he, you know, made, made a his lot money, of his, yep. his money. So if you go down in the basement, the whole building is held up with railroad rails <laughs> underneath really? the floor. That's how he jacked it up. He jacked it up and he had railroad iron put in underneath the floors. A couple spare parts lying around. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's neat. And my, uh, just a personal connection, my grandfather who went to the old school, um, you know, in, in the 30s, 40s, he, after he graduated one of his first jobs, he went and worked at the miner farm. So it was a huge employer, employed hundreds yeah. and hundreds of people. I grew up a mile away from the miner farm. Yeah. yeah. And he worked at the farm when it was still active, and Mrs. Miner was still alive at that point. Uh, William H. Miner died in 1930, but Mrs. Miner, she lived uh, 20 years after her husband. And uh, he remembered working there when Mrs. Miner would be in residence, when she would come from Chicago and would be there at the farm. And he remembered bringing milk up to the main house, like for Mrs. Miner, you know, and, and when she was there. Is the main house where the offices are now? Or is I, it? I want to say it? it's where the horse field is. is <laughs> it's it? nothing is it? there. Yeah. I, I think um, I remember seeing like. I think they had a display at one. They probably still do. They had a display of kind of what the farm looked like. And when they, the Hearts Delight Farm was that the same farm or was that a different one? That was their name for it. They called it the Hearts Delight. But that's farm, the same location. Was what the right? miners called their estate. Yeah, they still have the picture of like the heart and the cow yep. and the, like, the little symbol. Yep. So um, in their cottage, they called it the Hearts Delight Cottage. Was their house, and it was like fifty rooms. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly a cottage. But they never, they never, they would like vacation. Well, actually, what was the tie to to Shazy for Miner? Well, Miner was was uh, from here. And then he went to Chicago he, where he, he did was, like... He I want to say he was orphaned and he was raised by an aunt and uncle. I think you're right, yeah. Uh, and he inherited their farm and that was kind of the nucleus of the estate was his original aunt and uncle's farm. That's why the schoolhouse that he went to is like right there on yeah. the corner that yep. he went to as a kid. Um, but then he went off to make his fortune and he... Uh, you know, invented all these things, and you know he was just really because he was Chicago was his home base at that. Yes, like his business yes. accolades, and then he. But that's the cool thing is he always came back and was like came back to the Shazy. Yeah, and then and like I said, Shazy and the surrounding areas because he it wasn't like he dumped everything in Shazy, like the hospital and there's other, yeah. other stuff throughout. Um, yeah. he did. He didn't have anything to do with the college, did he? I don't believe so. Okay, I, I, I wasn't mean, sure if there was. I'm sure maybe he served or did something. It's to help. possible. Or, it's and, possible. Yes. Um, last thing I want to ask you about and i don't know if we talked about this on the last pod podcast do you have any interest in you starting a podcast me starting a podcast? yeah uh yeah like, have you heard I mean, like it, dan carlin like hardcore history and i've thought things? about it i've thought about it you know and uh you know with technology being what it is it you know it makes it so so accessible you know these days well i was thinking like I mean, you, you have a, a very well-followed Facebook page. You have a very, I mean, you're active on it. You're posting stuff, you know. Yeah, and, we've got going, headed towards 40,000 fans on our Facebook So page. I think if you got into something like this, very easy to do a podcast. Like, I can, trust, I can get you on the, <laughs> I can get you on the starter, you know, the, the starter kit here. There we but, go. But, you, like, to me, I think you just play it like Dan Carlin, and you have a story, and you pick a theme, and you pick a topic, and it could be anything. It could be about the Titanic. Yeah. That's your theme. You talk about it for an hour or, what, or however long you want to talk about it. He goes, I mean, hours, because obviously, like you said, I could talk for five hours on this. I know. Yeah. But he, he does this long, like, he sits down. It's almost like hosting a, a, a you know, a, 
like an NPR show or hosting like a sports radio show. Like you talk for two, three hours or less, whatever you pick the time frame, and you really go deep into these stories and then you post it on your, on your, you know, maybe once a week, you know, here's whatever the podcast is with Matt and that's your focus for the week. And you go over and you tell this like intricate story about something. And I think people would listen to that and be like, that's really cool because you're, you're such a good storyteller and <laughs> you. you have so much history knowledge. And then you look around like you have, you plan out these routes, but then it's like, Hey, can I dive into, you know, you know, Thomas McDonough, can I dive into the Harper's Ferry raid? Can I dive into even it has nothing to do with Plattsburgh. Hey, this is a cool thing in history that you may not know about that I've been reading up on. And I think it's really cool. And you do, you take the idea of hey, walking around and kind of pointing out historical things, but could you also do and paint the picture and like this is what you'd smell and sound and kind of really dive in and kind of immerse people in this like little story hour where I think that would be well followed by a lot of people because they like the history and like I'll, I'll listen to an hour podcast once a week or two hour podcast. Like I listen to Joe Rogan all the time. He's three hours without blinking an eye because I'll be working and I'll sure on a Saturday I'll pop it in. I'm mowing the lawn, doing yard work. Next thing you know, I've listened to a three hour conversation, but sure. it's just as I'm working. Like I would, th- I would like, I would listen to that. I'd be like, yeah, let me hear the stories of it. Cause I'm asking you questions, but you know, I'm asking you questions all over the place where you'd be like, listen, like Galen, step back. I'm going to focus on this one topic. I'm going to let this whole thing, like the chronological order. Let me just kind of fill in the gaps and, and you know, point on what I believe is important or what I believe is entertaining. I think it's something you should do. Well, just, now you've got my gears turning. So my, my, if, my, if you, if you need help, let me it. know. I'll be more than happy to kind of point you in the right direction. Cause honestly you need very little, um, I would think startup, you, I mean, one, you could do it from your phone, but if you really wanted to like, hey, I want a mic, like a little boom mic setup that could record, you get a lot of these mics, like just like one of the Yeti mics for a couple hundred bucks, you put in an SD card and just record, pop it in your computer, and then I show you how to do that. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I got, this is easy. Well, I'm always looking for other outlets to, to reach people. I think so this that, is perfect know, for you. Yeah, I, I, I because, you know, there's there's obviously stories that are out there that are amazing stories that don't quite fit into that format of, you know, going for a walk and talking about a site here in Plattsburgh or or whatever that, that, that do relate to local history or that are, you know, uh, inaccessible to the general public or something like that. So I'm, I'm always looking for ways to get those stories out there. Uh, that, that people would find Fort interesting. Ty, so, Rogan, uh, for yeah. you know, Crown you know, Point. And even the, 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 the different communities, you start breaking them down. All Sable Forks, Keysville. Yeah. You know, some of those places are walkable and some of them, some of them aren't, you know. So um, it would be really great uh, to, to get those out there to a bigger audience because uh, a lot of these communities do have these incredible stories that they can tell that can be shared. One of the thing with the power with like Facebook, you post it there. Here's an hour, two hour, three hour, whatever, how long you want to talk about it. Like just deep diving into Keysville. Like yeah. you will have people that from Keysville and surrounding areas that will be sharing it, posting it, tagging people. Next thing you know, your audience is going to build up because I like plus w- winters are long. <laughs> yeah. And, and <laughs> a lot I, of time to do stuff, but you're starting to look at podcasts become more popular and you, you really look at, you know, if you pictures are great, but you can only expand so much on a picture. And right. then also when you're typing, you can only expand so much typing because then you're just, my fingers hurt. I don't want to yeah. keep typing. Yeah. You're talking like, I got a coffee, I got a drink, I got whatever. And I'm just sitting here, I have my notes, I'm just memory, whatever. And you're just ripping off stuff going down this like list. That would be entertaining. Cause like I, I listen to you talking, I'm like, there's some, and obviously anybody that's taking your tours are like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about and he's entertaining. And like you said, you know how to storytell. And I think, you know, if you look at like a Dan Carlin, the hardcore history and you look at what he does and he's, you know, and, and you can present it and you can kind of put it in a way that's entertaining. I think people would gravitate towards that. And I think you have, you yeah. have so much knowledge and wealth. It's like, it's well, just thanks. an extra thing to kind of put it out. And then like you said, winners, I'm not, you're not walking around, you know, in a, 
parka around, uh, 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 let's say, um, a time parka, like a time period parka. You know, it's probably a little cold, a lot of wool. A might great get, coat, they call it. Great coat. Might get coat. wet, might get a little damp, you know. Well, but we, we try to... Uh, uh, not make too many permanent additions to the tour. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so, so but guests. like the winter months, that could be like a deep dive and like, hey, this could supplement my, you know, and then, you know, you start doing that, I think is incredible. And then, then you can really get into it. You can start doing YouTube off of that and then more. But I think the podcast... It's definitely really interesting the, things the to The podcast is super easy because for yeah. you, it's very, like all this setup to get it started, to put it online, to you, the learning curve for you would take one or two podcasts and you'd be like, yeah, easy. And then, and then obviously you can add as much to it as you want. You know, you can start adding and really branch it out and figure out ways to, you know, grow it. Eventually you'll get to the point where you get the audience, you monetize it. And there's different ways that you can do it that right route. But interesting. Yeah. You have so much knowledge and stuff that well, this is like, such an easy thing for you to do. You know, our, our tours are limited to an hour and 15 minutes, you know, but I say like, for instance, out on the former Plattsburgh Air Force Base, for example, there is so much depth of the past crammed into one small area you could make that a five-hour tour so it would be an outlet to uh really get a lot of those stories out that you may not I mean, you have take time the, you take to the, well, i say valcourt brewing now but you take the stone barracks there yeah there's got to be hours of just stories in the barracks not mm-hmm. even talking about there the is. graveyard not even talking so it's like i'm just talking about i'm there just is. talking about the one room in that place this has yep. history there and like i mean you know better like you know your craft, so it's like you... Well, that place in particular, because, uh, I, I mean, the, the the former Plattsburgh Air Force Base, because we get a lot of veterans and service people that mm-hmm. will come on our tour because they served here, or because they're visiting and they're showing their family where they used to serve. You know, of course, our base has been closed 20-plus years now. So, um, And each one of those people that have come over 10 years, just multiply that out, has told me stories about things that have happened to them and things, you know, and, and all those stories are just sitting in the back well, of my brain. Well, that, I don't think it would ever, you would never not have stuff to talk about. Because yeah. like you said, if you talked about October 10th, McD- uh, the McDonough, Dor- or McDonough Hall. Yeah, McDonough Hall. So you do McDonough Hall. Well, you're most likely, you could do McDonough Hall two, three years from now and have stories that have evolved since. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, I... T- I touched on this on episode 20 yeah. and now I'm on episode 380 talking about the same thing, but here's some other stories and here's some things I've learned and things that have evolved and things I've come across that I didn't know about back then. Sure. And then you do like, Hey, yeah, that, that happens. 2.0, like, yeah, that happens. Even, even when we first started out on Facebook and we're talking you know, a decade ago now, at least. And, um, we would post something about local history. <laughs> one in, in, one in particular, there was a story that we did about, uh, a ghost story regarding Hawkins Hall and uh, its predecessor, which was the, the the normal school, Plattsburgh State Normal School and Normal Hall that stood there before Hawkins Hall. And I posted that and that went out to the, you know, the Internet. That afternoon, we got a phone call from this little old lady in California who had seen that post. And she said, that man you talked about in your post today, that was my grandfather do you want to know what really happened? <laughs> and she told us the real version of that story. That sounds you like know? a Titanic movie when the old lady's like, you want to know what really happened? Yeah. She's like, yes, ma'am. Like, tell me. Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and those are the stories that, that I love to tell. I, I just, I think there's so much, because I think one, it's entertaining for people listening, but I think for you too, it allows you a creative outlet. It allows you to, yeah. to, to dump some of this stuff off. And the other thing too is you're recording it. So now you have historical records of it. So you could actually look at it as like a, almost like a note-taking database. Archive. Archive, yeah. yeah. Just like, hey, I had that titled as, you know, uh, like, you know, like I said, McDonough Hall. 
Then if you ever needed to go deep dive back in and get re like I was really into McDonough Hall at one point in time. Now I want to refresh myself. I can just listen to my own self talk about it. Like it almost becomes <laughs> like a almost comes like a uh, audio recording, uh, like a note taking for you. But you're saying it in a story for people to, to hear and. and I, like, I think you just get a comfy place. You sit down on the couch in a desk at a chair, have some notes, just have a cup of coffee and just start talking. And it's like, you can do it at eight in the morning. You can do it at eight at night. You can Sounds do, like a blast to me. I, I, just, well, I mean, it's like history. You're already learning about it. It's like, let me just dump yeah. it, put it on. And then it gets fun because you engage with people and, and, sure. and build off and get the stories. And all of a sudden someone from Nebraska calls or, or, uh, someone from Plattsburgh, Missouri calls and says, Hey, I want, you know, Plattsburgh, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize there's a Plattsburgh, Missouri in Clinton County. Oh, in Clinton County. That's yeah. right. Uh, and there's also a Plattsburgh in Australia. Really? Same spelling? Yeah. Uh, I think it's just a G. Is the one in Missouri a, a G or has an H also? It's just a G. So that one, because I was doing some research that at one time, that one was, that's considered like the sister city of Plattsburgh because it's, they moved, but it's also in Clinton County, Missouri. Yeah. So there's two Plattsburgh Plattsburghs of Clinton County in sure. the United States. Yeah. Well, the, the Plattsburgh, New York has always been spelled with an H. Uh, even though you see, there's, there's just saying, you see G's, you see just the G's. It's like and, Ellenberg. <laughs> and it took a lot of research to figure out where that came from. Cause a lot of people say, well, oh, it used to be just spelled with a G and that's how you can tell stuff that's from Plattsburgh. That's old. Cause it's only spelled with just a G, you know, as far as antiques but, or something. But what happened was it all traces back to a mistake at the post office. That's what it was. It was. There so was, legally, Plattsburgh's always been G-H. G-H. It's always been G-H. But because there was a misspelling at the post office in like the early 1900s, this spelling with just the G got propagated in official federal documents. So people saw that and oh, thought God. that that's how it was spelled. So And it appeared on signs. It appeared on, I mean, you can go downtown and on the top of the old Key Bank building, it says Plattsburgh National Bank and Trust, and it's only spelled with just a G. So well, Now, that building, like, it's a for sale sign on it, but it I know is. there's like so much stuff in there. But like that building, I walked by it the other day. I'm like, that's one of the coolest spots in oh, Plattsburgh. Beautiful. But it, like, it, and it's sad it's not being utilized for anything. But I know obviously it's gonna, there's a ton of, you know, you got to dump a ton of money, effort, and resources to get that back running. But I would love to see someone turn that into, and not even like a modern building, or a modern, but like still kind of keep the historical aspect of it, but turn it into something that's actually useful yep. or a restaurant or someplace where people can actually have access to kind of like what Valcor did, where it doesn't just become a standalone shop, but like yeah, a place yeah. that community can kind of go in and out of. My my uh, grandfather on my mom's side, my grandpa was a, uh, a vice president for Key Bank. So he knew a lot about those buildings. He ran the branch, you know, Sable Forks. When did that one close? Just within the last uh, couple of years, yeah, year or two. It, it just seems like it's... Very recently. Yeah, it just doesn't... It seems like it's been longer that it's been closed. But I hope, it, like, it's beautiful. Like, it oh, just, my God. That whole strip right there, when you come down uh, pretty much on uh, Brinkerhof all the way down, yep. like, there's, it's such a cool look going down that, stri that strip. I always like to refer to that, that intersection as kind of a product of the 1920s, 1930s, because all of those major structures, you know, the Strand, the two bank buildings, uh, and then you've got what was the old post office and federal building, which is now part of the Strand. Uh, they were all built within that decade time period. In the church right there? Uh, right in the corner of a... What's, is it Marion? What's that word? Oh, Marion. The, 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 uh, you're talking about the Presbyterian Church. Yes. That's 1860s. That's a lot earlier. So, so that was their prior. That's a lot that. earlier. Gotcha, yep. okay. Yeah, but uh, I'm talking about the main, you know, the buildings with the columns, the bank yep. buildings, the strands. There's the, one right on the corner, yep. right 
diagonal from the Strand too. That's columns, right? The far end. Mm-hmm. What, yep. What's in that building? The the one that's directly across the street from the Strand on the opposite corner of Marion and Brinkerhoff. Correct. Yep. That one was the Merchants National Bank. Uh, originally, that was also built in the 1920s, and it's vacant. Which so is just crazy. Like the key bank. Yeah. Like the two more, like I think one of the two most beautiful buildings oh my in God. downtown. They're just sitting there and nothing's being done. I, I've been inside both of those structures and they're both spectacular. Uh, Art Deco. I was going to say inside. big, big, big oh, like, huge spacious. soaring ceilings with yeah. murals and, and all sorts of uh, Art Deco brass work and, and original. The, the huge vaults are still in place with the big submarine looking doors. I mean, I just look who owns that incredible. Stuff, that's like, I wish like whether the city could take that back over or someone and just turn it into something that's like, you know, community centric. Well, they just recently, uh, uh, painted the, uh, the mural on the backside of that one of, uh, Gene Arthur, Gene Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. Which is beautiful. Oh, spectacular. And, 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 um, I actually had the outdoor, uh, or outdoor art girls here that, um, and talked about it, but yeah, that, uh, how big that mural is is incredible, mm-hmm. and the fact that he did that with spray cans—it's just That's mind, it mind-boggling. Yep, the, the guys. I mean, he also did the Brendan uh, Palmer Angel. I went to school with him. I rem- yes, he's a local guy. He was a couple grades behind me, and I remember eating lunch with him at middle school. <laughs> was he in art back then? Yeah, yeah, I think so. He was very like artsy, you know. Because um, he also did the one of um, uh, Michael, Michael Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. Was, yep. Um, so I mean, it's like it, there's He's so very, much detail very, very and realistic, talented. and it's yeah, it's just you look at it, and it's like the, it, it literally looks like the person's there. Yep. And the Gene Arthur one is, I mean, the, the astronaut one too, but the Gene Arthur one is massive. He said that was the biggest one he had ever done up till that point. I'm not it's sure. It's incredible when you drive, now, but. drive by, it's like or walk by, it's it's like breathtaking. You look at it, it, it look, really is. It kind of catches you off guard because you're uh-huh. like, wait, like where the heck? I'm looking at protection allium in the yeah, back, and it's hidden away back there. Yeah, it's you like know, a little monopole. You're like, what is that thing? So for the longest time, I didn't even know where it was when it first happened. I was like. I haven't seen this place. And mm-hmm. then you realize like you actually find out where it is, yeah. but, and she was born on Oak street. Um, yeah, she was, a pl- um, an actress. Yep. Um, yep. Born in Plattsburgh, 1900. The girls, when they were on it, um, they both said how, like she was, had a lot of humor and she was kind of like a, a kind of a funny actress yep. or, yep. um, I don't like again. I don't know much about that time period, but I, like I said, it's kind of cool. She, she actually, uh, when she was working, was one of the highest paid actresses of her day in Hollywood. Was she back when the twenties, thirties? Yeah, roughly? exactly. Yeah, yeah golden. So, what they call the golden age. Of yeah, I was going to say like what was uh, O'Hara and all those people. Yeah, like, she, she worked with Jimmy Stewart and all those Judy Garland big and all names. those. Yeah, yep. so that's cool. Um, well, Matt. We'll wrap it up there. Yeah, this is fun. I, I always enjoy listening to. You. Like it's I said, you got to get a podcast. Like I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna keep ragging on you probably to get one. But I, um, I think a lot of people would appreciate, um, like, like I said, a very easy way to get your knowledge. I think it'd be fun for you too, because I think it would just give you something to look forward to. I think you're right. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> I gotta, I'm gonna mind dump some cool facts on you. Gonna drop yeah. some knowledge bombs on all you history buffs out there. So hmm. I think it'd be good. I think you, you would excel at that really well. So, um, well, Matt, if anybody wants to reach out, find you, how do they do so? Uh, best spot to get a hold of us is on our Facebook page. It's the Greater Adirondack Ghost and Tour Company. Um, of course, we do our regularly scheduled events, which are going to be winding down for the winter after Halloween. Uh, we, we do the first couple of weeks into November, as long as Mother Nature says, <laughs> says, but we're kind of on borrowed time. So we'll be starting back up uh, in the spring, usually uh, end of April or beginning of May. But we're always available for private tours and private events. Uh, we can do those at any point in time. So you'll get the boots out in the winter and track That's it, right. Track we've, done, snow. we've done tours in March. We've done tours in December. And plus, we have the capability to do uh, uh, inside tours, virtual tours, we call them. Could, could you do uh, like a Christmas tour? Oh, yeah. A Christmas theme tour? Yeah, That'd definitely. That'd be kind of cool. 
Yeah. Just yeah. bring it out like the week before. I think that would be a massive hit too. Mm-hmm. So awesome. Well, Matt, I appreciate coming on again as always and uh, sharing your knowledge and yeah. making me feel like I'm, um, like I said, this is cool. Like I always, <laughs> always like, feel like I'm watching like a live documentary right now of a bunch of different <laughs> stuff and, and I get to kind of ask you all these crazy questions, but, um, yeah, please check him out. He does a fantastic job. Um, look out for his podcast starting hopefully soon. We'll see you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, we'll end there. That's episode 169 of the Galen Trombley show. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.